still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Who took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding? Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you And he won the pony too Thank you, fuck you, bye 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 Hello again, friends! You are our friends, and welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru right here in the year 2023. I'm your host, the great Brian Last. I have no idea what we're going to talk about today, and that includes this man, the leader of the cult of Cornette, Mr. Jim Cornette. Oh boy, a second program into the new year, and already you're disavowing, uh, Mr. Phelps, you disavow any knowledge of your activities. Uh, you're basically just coming right out at the top of this program. Your show, the one that you shepherd the flock on, the one that you drive the train, the one that you pilot the the plane, the one that you captain the ship. I could go on with these similes, but nevertheless, this is your program and already at the top of it before I have even uttered a syllable, much less a multisyllabic phrase. You're just saying, fuck it, it's not my fault. I don't know what we're doing today. I'm, it's up in the air. Let's throw some darts at the wall. What is this, AEW booking here? I would expect more from you in the new year, Brian. We we got the the rest at the holiday season. We got all fired up and ready to go. How can they miss us if we don't go? We went away just long enough for them to miss us. Now we're back. We got to have positive outlooks on these programs we got to dissect and analyze and retrospect and uh sanitize all of the goings-on in the wrestling world on this program as well as on my program the experience where i never open it up by just placing the blame purely in in your lap pal you're putting me to so sleep. let's you're putting me to have, sleep Oh, come on. Give I thought that energy. was a rah-rah speech. No, no, no. It was a go-to-bed sleep speech. I just told you before we went on the air, I've, if we get done with this program quickly enough, my world-famous chicken sandwiches are on the menu tonight. Fried chicken in a deep fryer with cheese and onions and lettuce and all the, the good sauces on a big old toasted burger bun. And I'm going to sit down, I'm going to watch me, The Flim Flam Man. Have you ever seen the movie, The Flim Flam Man? He's a wrestler, right? No, George C. Scott. I know, I know, I know. Have you seen the movie? I have seen the movie, yes. 
many years. I ago. have you. You've seen something that belonged to a relative of mine. If you've seen the movie, I haven't seen this movie in thirty years. Hadn't come across it, and I recorded it. I think it was on the Turner Classic, but what it was on TV the other night, and I recorded it. And I'm going to sit down and watch it because they shot that movie, partially at least, I guess. This is in Cornette family lore here. They shot the movie partially on location out around, well, the, the, the suburban Lexington. To make it small. It wasn't all the way at Eastern Kentucky, but out in the bluegrass region. I think down around Lawrenceburg, maybe. I could be wrong. But my uncle, Leslie, actually, and my Aunt Lulie. Her name was Lulu, but Lulie went better with Leslie, so they became Leslie and Lulie. They were my great-aunt and great-uncle. Then he had a farm down near Salvisa, Kentucky, and we used to visit when I was very small. He was elderly then in his 70s when I was 10 years old, so I'm assuming he's gone now. But anyway, so the story was always told that Leslie was in town in his truck the day of, of some of the filming, because every once in a while, I remember when I was a kid, when this first came up on network television, the movie, The Flim Flam Man, and they would show it, Ain't Lola always had to watch, and she'd point and she'd say, there's Leslie's truck, because his truck was actually in the background of one of the scenes. And that was that was as close as anybody in my family came to television or movie exposure in, in those days. I don't know what in the a world scintillating happened. topic here this week. And, well, I'm just telling you, I don't know what happened to great uncle Leslie and great aunt Lulie. They're the ones that took my youngest uncle when my grand, my mother's mother, when she died, it was, she had just given birth to my youngest uncle Raymond and he was only like three months old. So as they did in those days, when they had too many kids, because my grandfather then already had my Uncle Harold and Aunt Lola, as well as my mom, so they gave the baby to Aunt Lulie and Uncle Leslie, who I believe were on my grandmother's side of the family. And like all good Raymonds, he changed his name to Bobby. No, no, he, he changed his last name, just it made it easier in school, but they didn't do paperwork back then in those days. I don't really know how all that stuff worked out. When they, when they brought in the Social Security and things like that. But that's a topic for another show. You know what's a topic for this program, Brian? I have no idea what's a topic for I'll this I'll tell you no. the grand reopening of the Cornette's Collectible Store at jimcornette.com. Uh, already the response has been overwhelmingly positive. People have, have they've been, there's been skywriting, banners coming down Broadway, uh, after our restocking and inventory period, the store at jimcornette.com is open with the brand new hot lazy booking t-shirt and restocked on the Cornette face shirts. For those of you who were turned away at the door when there was no more room at the inn, this is going to be a day of similes here. And there is under 90, possibly even under 85 raw debut variants, the pink Raw debut variant outfit uh, in the way of Jim Cornette action figures. We're on the last 85 or 90 of those. If you've been on the fence, now's your time to fall off the fence. Or the wagon or whatever you've been perched on that you're trying to take a leap off of. Did I ever tell you the story about the time that the mayor fell off a fire truck and hit my mother on the foot? No, you have not. Well, it just made me think of it, being on the fence and falling off or whatever. 
this was the last stop when the, when the volunteer fire department, such as it was in, in my little community back in those days, one truck and four guys would come to collect for the crusade for children because my mom would always have some refreshments and snacks for them because they worked hard and everything. And one day they decided to be just grandiose about the thing and bring not only the pickup truck that they had, the fire chief's truck, uh, he, the fire chief was actually the most successful mechanic in town back in those days because the fire department was not a full-time occupant. You couldn't have a fire after six o'clock at night back in those days. Everybody was off. You were asked to wait until seven the next morning. But anyway, they brought all the equipment, including the fire truck. And once they got the daggum fan, it wasn't even like one of the big modern jobs. This was early seventies. But once they got the fire truck, up the, the the driveway here, they couldn't get it out. They got stuck. They were, well, and it took a while for them to back out on the little road and everything. So it was a rib they pulled on themselves. But while they were doing it, the guy was on the truck and waving or whatever. And he and the mirror, the rear view mirror came off the truck and my mom was standing there, almost hit her on the foot. And they had a big laugh about that. Well, the next year, or two, I can't remember, at our little community fair they had in the summertime, me and Aunt Lola were standing on the sidewalk looking at the balloons and all the stuff they had going on, and I was recounting to her the story of when the mirror almost fell off the fire truck, and or fell off the fire truck and almost hit my mother on the foot, and some woman standing behind me thought that I said the mayor fell off, which he was known in those days to take a sip. And then the story started circulating that the mayor fell off the fire truck and nearly hit my mom on the foot. I was influencing politics even back then. You know what else is going on besides jimcornet.com? No, what's that? <laughs> what's that? Is there anything going on? I'd love to hear about it. Yes, yes, there is. I'll tell you exactly what it is. The mayor fell off the it's, truck, hit my mom's foot, and it's the most boring story I've ever told. All right, it's Tim Tim Conway and Harvey Corbin here. Uh, the cameos. We got to talk about the cameos. The cameo personalized video messages are going on sale Saturday, January 28th at noon Eastern on the aforementioned jimcornet.com. The first time we've had time to do these in one year. And people have been clamoring and foaming at the mouth and frothing about and whipping their bodies in a frenzy like they were having convulsions waiting for this to happen. Well, now the time, as they say, has come. And that's Saturday, January 28th at noon Eastern. You go to Cameo, C-A-M-E-O, Cameo.com slash Jim Cornette, or just go to JimCornette.com and click on the Cameo button. When the time arrives, you will be able to purchase one of these, and I will give your sweetie a kissin' or a cussin' for Valentine's Day. The St. Valentine's Day Massa Cameos tradition continues, and remember, they're going to be limited to about 75 or 80 because that's all we can produce and fulfill that week with our busy schedules, myself and Hotchkiss Featherbottom. So uh, jump in in the first couple of hours or history dictates you may be left out. 
And I guess that's about the uh, the extent of that now. That's the most time I can fill for you right now, Brian. So I'm going to hand it back to you on your program because that's my plugs and you don't like my stories today. And I'm, I'm wounded. I'm cut to the quick. You're cut to the quick? I'm cut. You've cut me to the quick. I don't know that expression. Explain that expression. What? You've never heard. Wait a minute. You have never heard that expression. I don't think I have. Where that would means, I have heard it? Where would I have heard it? Well, I'm in public from humans. I don't fucking know. Uh, if you've you've insulted someone or you've offended them, you've hurt them deeply, you've wounded them, you've you've cut me to the quick. Now you're going to be browbeaten by every, at least down south, by every everybody in the whole world. I doubt it. The world of down south, I guess. The world of down south. You've well, cut me to the quick. You've, you've, you've wounded me, offended me. Well, why don't we continue offending people and wounding people, and let's All get right, this out of the yeah. way. Are there any reviews? Is there anything you watch that we have to hear about? Yeah, you know, you asked me to. You said, well, you, you're going to watch SmackDown, aren't you? When we last talked, I said, yeah, I guess I will. And then, and then you're acting like your hands are clean and you're innocent of this whole matter. The same thing that happens every week is about to happen. I'm going to tell you, I didn't watch SmackDown, and you're going to mention several things, and I'm like, oh, shit, I did see that. I walked through the room, and I saw something. Well, then let me try to jog your memory. Let me, let me try to just pick you up and give you a little jiggle. Maybe a, a middle finger in there somewhere, just to get, get uh, things flowing again. Does it uh, remind you of anything if I said they were, they were in Memphis? Memphis, long-distance information. Give me Memphis, Tennessee. Help me find a party. Tried to get in touch with me. They did not leave a number, but I know who to call. All those fucking disgruntled wrestling fans that didn't buy a ticket for this show, they're standing out in the hall. So they were in Memphis, and immediately they pull out the big guns. They're on network TV. They're riding high on the big rating from Cena previous week right this was january 6th so out comes zane and solo and the usos not from the entrance way but they immediately as the show opens and the announcers start talking those guys all jump over the barricade at ringside and start breaking shit and throwing shit around i'm like what the fuck there's nobody else out there they're just they're running roughshod the bloodline are all, of course, all that stuff's covered by WWE's insurance, I would think, the production equipment, etc. But anyway, they trashed ringside and awaited the entrance of Roman Reigns, and here he comes with Heyman standing and stooging gloriously behind him. And people love these heels, Brian. They're, they're excited to see them. It's like big-name stars have come to town, like some of the old days. We used to have big stars in wrestling. They're, again, star power, personality. They're the best thing on the show, and I was being a smartass when I said people love these heels, but here's a question for you before we talk about the interview they did. Is there any baby faces now in the WWE that any more than the current WWE diehard would support over these guys? Are anybody that is strong enough to compete in terms of personality and the way they've been booked and used? Or is or when when Owens comes out there, I know a bunch of people like him and he's a wonderful worker, but he looks like somebody took half the stuffing out of a fucking mattress. 
compared to, you know, Roman Reigns. And it, it, where are our superstar baby faces? That's my question to you on your show. First of all, it's not my show. It's SmackDown. Second of all, it's hard to have cool baby faces when you have cool, funny heels. And the bloodline are funny, and they're also badasses. Owens actually probably does as well as anyone at combating that because he could be a smart ass on the mic and get people, yeah. to, get people to laugh. But other than that, they don't have a lot of strong baby faces. That's why I think a lot of people internally are hoping Cody could deliver something when he comes back. Boy, they need him. Um, but anyway, in this particular interview segment, Roman wanted to hear from Sammy, and Sammy was happy and putting everybody over and putting everybody on notice that 2023 belongs to the bloodline. We're going to send a message this year. Everybody won on Raw Monday night. But then Roman said, what about last year? Because Sammy's the one that lost the match with uh, Cena and Owens last week. And at this point, again, Roman Reigns did a masterful job of building the whole thing up. I didn't lose. Sammy lost. Why did you call your shot? Why did you guarantee your win? Are you trying to be like me, do things like I do it? And he he worked himself up, it, obviously, in a working way, but it was perfect, natural, into a, you want to be me, motherfucker, type of, you know, attitude. You could see him pissing himself off. And that, it was... Excellent. And right as he really starts blessing Sammy out, as Aunt Lola used to say. By the way, did you know that my Uncle Leslie's truck was in the Flim Flam Man? I heard that. I heard that earlier. Yeah. Today. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's all over town. Here comes Owen's music interrupts, and he comes out to the entranceway, and he said, Roman, your anger is misdirected. You're not mad at Sammy. You're mad at me. I caused all this. You've got a KO problem. And, of course, he makes the challenge to Roman Reigns' title match at the Royal Rumble. And Roman Reigns accepted. And everybody kind of left. So it, it, they got the business done. They needed to get done. And nobody cussed on a live mic and all the equipment worked or whatever. But it was a little flat way of... And once again, I, I mean, you know, I'm the one who preaches, well, they can't jump people 16 times on every program. So, but uh, it, it seemed like, because I, I mean, the people, when Roman was up in Sammy's face, they were right there and, eh, okay, well, we want to see the match, but all right. But anyway, it was, that's neither here nor there. Did, have I jogged your memory yet? No, I don't think I saw any of this. <laughs> well... The next match, uh, the next match, the the match, the first match, because that's just been a promo, was Kofi Kingston against Pablo Escobar. And after that, we were 30 minutes in. Back to the bloodline. And there at the bloodline locker room door, of course, and Paul has become like the fucking guy, the, the, the doorman in the Wizard of Oz, right? He's the guy, hey, get away, you can't see the wizard. Sammy's groveling to him. More like the doorman in Studio 54. Yeah, like, <laughs> Mark Benneke, I think was his name. <laughs> oh, but by the time Paul got finished with him, it was Studio 46. Uh, but anyway, so Sammy's groveling 
to Paul. I'm not trying to be the travel chief. You got to explain it to him. And Paul's like, I still love you. And what is what is, he calls him? Shmooley? Is that a thing from your people? Yeah, yeah, it's a nickname. Well, you know, I guess Sammy now is is honorarily Yiddish or Jewish. He's a Shmooley because they're doing that interplay with, I love you, Shmooley, but Paul loves him. But Roman, you know, may be upset. So then they did the VTR of Captain Howdy attacking Bray Wyatt last week while L.A. Knight stood and, like we all did, wondered what the French fried titty fuck was going on. And then L.A. Knight did a promo. It's a he, he reacted and he did a good promo as always. And we still know nothing about what went on because since he doesn't know the explanation, in storyline at least, and probably for real, he can't explain it to us, so his promo is about, you know, you can't keep your goons in line. I don't know what the fuck. And then he's promoting a pitch black, a Mountain Dew pitch black match for the Royal Rumble. Unless you pour the Mountain Dew out, and then it'll be fluorescent green. Well, hey, I'm about to have a colonoscopy coming up here shortly, and they've told me to stay away from certain colors of these things, but I, th- I think... Maybe they'll substitute the no blood policy. They'll have the strawberry or whatever. And he can just kick him real hard in the stomach and. <gasps> so, but yeah, they're going to, is that a Prince of Darkness death match? Is that a blindfold match? Is that a lights out match? Literally, is that what the fuck's going to go on here? And how bad is it going to make LA Knight look having to stooge for this Falderall? Have you forgotten about Karrion Cross and Scarlet? Oh, yeah, actually, I did. Well, they were on the program. I'd actually forgotten, uh, you know, a couple months ago when they were going to be the hottest thing ever to come into the WWE. And now he's got not only a full, remember, he was bald before he was shaved. And yes, the after Steve Austin, that look has been overdone, but he looked kind of mean when he was bald, old Karrion Cross. Remember that? Well, he's got a full head of gorgeous hair now that looks like he's been using herbal essence shampoo on it since the 70s. It's fluffy and it shines, and he looks like some fucking bodybuilder at the local gym now. Um, He doesn't look very mean anymore, but... He's coming out with Scarlet. I'm thinking, okay, let's see what Karrion Cross is going to do. Guess what match they had? What match? A mixed tag team match. Karrion Cross and Scarlet against... What is his actual real first name? A madcap uh, old Moss. Moss fellow. Uh, the, whatever Moss his name is. And Emma... A mixed tag match with Karrion Cross went from he's going to fuck up the top guys in the company to have a mixed tag. Remember when Stone Cold Steve Austin teamed with Stacey Keebler in that mixed tag match on Raw one night? I don't know. No, you don't. So apparently the finish of this thing was that um, Scarlett threw Emma over the announce desk and Karrion Cross choked old Moss out just right in the middle of the ring. I thought they were going to use him more seriously when they at least let him wear some type of wrestling apparel and took him away from Baron Von Corbin. But anyway, 
apparently now carrying cross is messing with Rey Mysterio because they, after they choked Moss out and threw Emma, whoever she may be, over the announce desk, they put a Rey Mysterio mask on Moss's unconscious head. I guess your head's unconscious. When you're unconscious, your whole body, but especially your head, because that's where your consciousness comes from, right? Certainly your whole body, as you said, would be unconscious. Yes. yes. But they didn't put the ray mask on his whole body. They just put it on his head. If they'd have put it on his wing ding, that would have been fucking hilarious. Look at look at old dickhead Rey Mysterio. Well, let me stop you for a second just because of the natural transition. They put on a ray mask. What about a ray con? Well, you know, I'll tell you what. <laughs> out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Cinderella story. <laughs> but I can handle the fucking quick pitches, folks. I'll tell you what, if you're tired of hearing this drivel, which apparently Brian Last is, and you would like to hear whatever you want to hear, if you want to pick the soundtrack to your life, the programming that drives you, whether it's talk or music or just white noise or possibly animal sounds, tigers, lions, and bears, oh my, whatever you want to listen to, you can use the audio accompaniment on your journey through life down that yellow brick road behind that forbidden green door and off that proverbial cliff. And right now, the fact is a good pair of wireless earbuds is indispensable in 2023. It was almost goddamn indispensable in 2022, and it was damn near necessary in 2021. Next year, you're going to need these things to breathe, folks. For premium audio at the perfect price point, you got to go with the Raycons. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. And they taste pretty goddamn good, too. I mean, you you got, no. what are your senses? Well, nope. not they, they look good, you can see. They feel good, you can touch. They sound good, you can hear. They smell pretty good, except if you, I'll tell you what, I smelled a pair that had been in Stacy's Uncle Leroy's fucking ears. And these were the first Raycon's that didn't really smell too good. But most of them smell good, and if you take care of them, they'll smell better longer, even though they're in your orifices, and they taste great, and they're less filling. They've got the optimized gel tips. You can pick your flavors. We have a strawberry, banana, pecan, whatever gel flavor you want, and they give you the perfect in-ear fit. Don't chew these things. Just put them in your mouth and suck on them slowly. Don't put them in your mouth. Don't chew them, suck on them, or do anything else. Just put them in your ear safely and comfortably and listen to some wonderful tunes with Raycon. Well, you know, actually, if you want to win a karaoke contest, think about this. You could hide two of these bad boys in your jaw behind your molar. How does that turn help? turn the volume up all the way. How does that help and in a karaoke contest? Because then... If you turn the volume up all the way and you got them secreted in your jaw, well, then when the tune comes up that you've picked, you already know what they're going to play. You've got it ran. You just sing it right into the microphone, but it's the Raycons. You'll sound just <laughs> like Pat Benatar. That doesn't make any sense at all. Diana Ross. How would you know yeah. what they're going to play just because you have a Raycon you where your molars yourself. are? You programmed your, you got your, your, your fucking Raycons <laughs> programmed to play the same song as they're going to play on the karaoke, and you just time it right and hit the button. How are you doing that? 
Well, how do you do anything with the Raycons that you listen to? How you are you syncing your Raycons with what the produce, what producer, what the DJ is going to play next before they because play? Because you ask when you go to karaoke, you say, now they've got Brian coming up to sing, oh, pardon me, handsome stranger, or whatever the fuck. And meanwhile, you've got it secreted right there where you can hit the button and you play it and you got hit the, the button. everyday earbuds. So yeah. You, so you stick your finger all the way in your mouth right before you start. Well, most people, <laughs> most people stick their fingers in their mouth when they hear me sing. That's true. But anyway, and you get quality audio at half the price of the other premium audio brands, folks, as well as the ability to win any karaoke contest in town. So it's no wonder that Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews, and they'd get more, but some people still have their fingers stuck in their mouth. And there are three customizable sound profiles. And you got the more bass, you got the less bass, and you got the fake karaoke setting. So. You can win those contests. The earbud tap functions, noise isolation. You've got an awareness mode. It instantly kicks you up onto a higher plane of consciousness when you kick that in. It's like a turbocharger. One of the old, one of the old 80s uh, Cougars had those turbocharged motors. Just like that. You press that button, awareness mode, instantly. It's like you spent months with the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. You're aware. Your your Zen. Right now, you can go to buy Raycon. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N, buyraycon.com slash J-C-E right now, immediately this minute after listening to the rest of our program, and get 15% off your Raycon order. Buyraycon.com slash J-C-E, 15% off of your Raycon order. How what more can you expect us to do? We're giving you not only the ability to soundtrack your life, win every karaoke contest. You got a snack in your pocket with these customizable, optimized flavored gel tips that you can put them in your mouth and suck them. And we're getting you 15% off and a, and a higher plane of consciousness by Raycon.com. That's right. And let's somehow mercifully go back to the SmackDown review. Is it still going on? The SmackDown? That's right. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I dodged the curveball, and, and we're going to start back at, well, so Drew and Sheamus, you know, they, they've been on the, on the outs with each other for some time. They've had many Donnie Brooks and Bangers and MASH. They've had the Bangers and MASH many times, and they were at Jerry Lawler's Bar and Grill on Beale Street. And they were doing a, an interview with each other about how now they're on the same side. And basically, it was the most obviously scripted exchange of unconvincing, phony verbiage about their former rivalry that I've ever heard. And then at the end of it, all of the people sitting in the bar who were obviously not paying a lick of attention to him throughout the whole thing heard their cue. And started joining in in a prearranged chant. So that was that. And then here came Charlotte. And there's no doubt in anybody's mind now, or should be, she is a complete full-fledged baby face uh, on this roster at this point in time. She came out, she thanked everybody. 
She's always been about passion, consistency, and dedication. It sounded like she was running for office uh, of what a champion does and is. It was very good, but that's what she's doing. And suddenly, out of nowhere, here comes Cruella DeVille's music interrupting. So the other program, AEW, they will announce every goddamn match down to J. Fred Frog versus Jack Off the Wonder Donkey at 100 miles an hour, courtesy of Sockface, for every show for the next, you know, couple of weeks with graphics to match. So if you, if you not only are taking notes, but also if you're a trained courtroom stenographer, you can take down all the upcoming AEW matches. Here, they don't really... They go on the air with SmackDown with the barest idea of a match or two they might have, and everybody just wanders out as the show progresses and makes their own. Have you noticed this, Brian, last? That is a problem that has swept wrestling, yes. So in this case, it was one of the latter. So here comes Cruella, and she starts cutting a promo on Charlotte, and the fans took it over. And there is a... There's a, I don't know if it's the Memphis Grizzlies. I saw a brief explanation on Twitter and, and I don't have all the details, but there's a sports chant now in the city of Memphis at one of these sporting games. And they started doing it here to Charlotte about Cruella DeVille, which is whoop that trick. And the people just, for no apparent reason, in the middle of, of DeVille's promo, start chanting, whoop that trick, whoop that trick, whoop that trick, and they're drowning everything. And Charlotte's kind of about to snicker a bit, and it, she said something to the effect of, apparently they think you're a trick, and the place blew up. And Cruella finally gets her challenge out, and now, of course, Charlotte gets to ask the people, and they say, yes. So challenge asked and answered, we got a match. And suddenly, after this 10-minute buildup, Cruella jumps Charlotte from behind and boom, 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 gets on her. But Charlotte turns it around and hits a big kick within about 15 seconds and they go to the break. So they've spent 10 minutes building this. They send Charlotte out. They get her some goodwill. She gets over with people. They send Cruella out. She becomes a trick. The people get into it. They want to see him fight. Okay, boom. And now we at home are saying, what the fuck? They just pulled the rug out from under us. So that's what I'm talking about when I say that they make their own matches unimportant. If, if, if you were, again, in any other sport, if there was a game or a match or a whatever appropriate verbiage and they'd spent 15 minutes of television time building it up i can understand we'll be back with the match right after this but once the fucking fight match game tournament whatever starts are you going to go to break within the first 15 seconds anyway charlotte if, if charlotte was charlotte in this what do you think Ellen, of her what do you think of her as a baby face I, she was good. Um, Cruella DeVille's work is not great, but she's seen, she has a great look and she's a great heel. Because she was actually healing with her 
bitch face and her, you know, demeanor. She was actually trying to rough this opponent up rather than, you know, the other heel girls that are the Barbie type heels or whatever. And I'll say one thing, Charlotte, she did a forward handstand round off or something into a clothesline. And I love Charlotte. She should take that one out and never do that one again. It didn't, it didn't connect right or look right. But anyway, she hit a spear and got the figure eight and won in a, a few minutes. So this was a good win for Charlotte. I'm not sure where Cruella's stock is laying at this point. And then they did any, a big, go ahead. Any mention of Rhonda? Um, I tuned out the commentary like I usually do. They may have talked about her. Nothing really registered. Right. She, was, she was the champion. She lost in seconds to Charlotte last week. I was just yes. wondering if they would have yes. brought up anything. Uh, they probably did. I'm just searching through this, trying to find something redeeming. Uh, which Cody, the Cody package, they're building for his return, and apparently they're going back to what they started with. It wouldn't make any sense to do anything otherwise. The dream of winning the title for his daddy. And as long as they... You know, uh, bring him back. They need him badly. They need a top baby face. They need somebody with a story that they can half-ass sink their teeth into. And and obviously, it means a lot to Cody, so he's going to give it the best chance it's got. So, yes, let's let's have more of that. But then, oh, my God, Brian, I, this is why you should have watched the program. Every once in a while, it's must-see TV just for an update on our favorite popular group in wrestling we've been following for a couple weeks since the the hindenburg crashed the exploits of flop dollar and his group skid row along with b fab and, and adonis have you heard what's gone on now no apparently and i don't know whether flop dollar knows it or not but apparently they the office or creative whoever saw the feedback that he got when he tried to defend himself from that Fosbury flop over the top rope dive a couple weeks ago. They've turned him heel. Get out of here. They've turned him fucking he because he is the only was, thing he could have done. He was such a, you know, petulant child. Well, here's a video of me in a barn doing it, and I cleared it, and I was 50 pounds heavier, and he lands on his head or whatever. It was a Royal Rumble qualifying match. Ricochet versus Flop Dollar. And apparently, um, previously, for the previous week, whatever the fuck that we might have missed in a backstage thing, old Flop disrespected Ricochet. Uh, because the uh, he feels disrespect because the boys, apparently the story is a bunch of the boys in the locker room were making fun of Flop Dollar for flopping his dive, right? And it, that included Ricochet said something, so now there there's some issue here, right? And by the way, they announced Ricochet. You remember Ricochet, right? You can get a mental picture in your mind of Ricochet. Yeah, of course. Guess what weight they announced him at? What they announced them at? Yes. Uh, you're saying it like they 
It's a different weight than they used to announce him at. Well, remember when I've always said, if you got a guy that's so small, he can fucking fit through a fucking keyhole without greasing himself up. It, it maybe put an extra 15 or 20 pounds on. Nobody's going to know, but it might make it a little more palatable, just subliminally, whatever. 215. 207. I I would think he'd have to have rocks in his pockets and fucking a, and a beanbag on top of his head to to hit 185 but they announced him at 207 so somebody's listening anyway they actually gave Skid Row their entrance in the break if that tells you anything else also we may I talked about the Hindenburg it may, this may be more in line with another disaster the Titanic because they're bailing away from this fucking sinking ship. So they ring the bell on this match. You got Ricochet, who's five foot six and of a disputed weight, and Top Dollar, who, you know, is losing weight. Because remember, he was huge. He was 400 pounds, and now he's, he looks, I don't know, sort of like a, a fucking halfway deflated water human water bed at this point but flob dollar lurches across the ring at ricochet like a bucket of disconnected body parts and starts kicking the shit out of him and he was working full heel it didn't look bad at first because he wasn't actually trying any moves he was just mauling the smaller guy and getting all over him and try he can do the trash talking because we mentioned flop dollar is convinced that he is a superstar but within two minutes, Ricochet hit a kick and a small package and a flippy move and a shooting star press off the top, one, two, three. So within two minutes, they beat the... I've never seen a manatee defeated that easily before. They generally put up a bigger fight. So boom, so they gave them... They've switched them heel based on Flop Dollar's reaction to his botch on social media, they gave him their entrance in the break. They beat him with a guy half his size in two minutes. And then old Flop Dollar offers his hand to Ricochet, and they shook hands, and then all of Skid Row attacked him and beat him up until here came Brown Strongman and ran in and made the save. So is is this a way to say, well, we're gonna we're gonna get six weeks of something out of these morons before we bid them adieu again? That's what it would sounded like back in the territory days. I don't know. So anyway, uh finally, finally, we get back to the bloodline. Roman Reigns has asked for Sami Zayn's presence in the locker room. And they go to the break, and they come back, and Sami's there. Imagine if he'd have been late. It would have screwed up their whole show. And Sami, of course, tells Roman that he's not trying to take over. He don't want to be the tribal chief. He's apologizing. And then Roman Reigns says, I don't accept that apology. Because, and then he starts being philosophical, Reigns does. He says, I'm the tribal chief. I set a standard. I've got to control my anger. I shouldn't have done that in public. He's he's basically, he's apologizing to Sammy. I shouldn't have lost control like that. Should have done it in private. Because Owens was right. 
I'm mad at him. I'm taking it out on you. I've got a Kevin Owens problem, but we're going to fix it because next week, Sami Zayn versus Kevin Owens. I think, oh my God. I think Sammy and Owens are writing this program now because anytime they get a chance to work with each other, but at least that'll be interesting next week. And then finally again, Brian, you'll never guess what the main event on this program was. How many wrestlers they got on this roster in the WWE universe? I don't know. We, we counted, um, well, that was before the big initial firing. We had counted 200. They they got rid of a lot, but they've hired a lot back. The Usos versus Sheamus and Drew McIntyre was the main event. And at this point, it's for the tag team title, by the way. It's nothing wrong with these guys' work. It just seems like this is the same thing with the same people. And nobody thinks the belts are changing hands on a 14-minute TV match. And that includes the last break when that 14 minutes and it turned into a goddamn good match, but it just that I think all of the WWE shows look the same matches are set up the same way uh, people interact with the same people a lot. And it's not even like the territory days where you, you see the, the angle of the interaction or the clip of the interaction and you're expected to pay to see the non-televised house show, you're watching it on TV every week and it's harder to get into. But anyway, as I said, this was a good match that got the people in the arena. I don't know what it did for their ratings, but um, at the end, finally, they the Usos, they have these little magical finishes they do where Sheamus went for his finish, but Jimmy had tagged Jay's leg. But they did a double super kick and the 1D finish, and that was a two count for a big pop. And then Solo at ringside takes Drew McIntyre out, and here comes Ridge and Butch, and they get on Solo. And Sheamus wiped out the Usos, but one of them schoolboyed him and the other held him on top from behind for the one, two, three. So it was a little fuck finish. And Sammy in the back spilled his popcorn everywhere. So, you know, it was a good tag match and the people in the arena liked it. Again, I'm not sure that there's, you know, they brought John Cena back last week and got a big rating, but with the same dozen people interacting the same way on a two-hour network television program every week, I don't think that it's a different enough to snag people's attention that, oh, shit, I need to watch this again after I've taken so long from doing that. What do you think, Brian? We just talked about it with the Dynamite ratings, the idea that there is a large audience, specifically a younger and younger audience that doesn't care about cable TV or primetime TV, doesn't watch TV, doesn't care about what time a show comes on because they'll watch whatever they want whenever they want it, the exception being when something is live and you have to see it right there in the moment, like a big sports game, whatever it may be, a big finale of a show. It's happening. It's cultural. I need to see it, whether that's 50 million people or a million people who feel that way. I don't think WWE or by and large AEW produce that feeling from fans often so it becomes hey smackdown was last night let me go to twitter and see what happened smackdown was last night let me go to youtube 
and watch the highlights or let me go to my DVR and fast forward. You have to give people a reason to stop on a Friday night or whatever night and say, I need to watch this live. And when you have a track record of not producing that, it also takes a while to get people trained to actually think something could happen again. Well, you know, the thing is also they've gone to such pains in the past to the WWE is sports programming when it's convenient, but they don't present the program like a sport. And then it's when the other, which is SmackDown and Fox considers themselves sports, whereas USA, they're, they're in the entertainment classification. Is that correct? I believe so. It's one or the other. I think it's that one. But the point is, rights fees for live sports are the things that go up drastically. I know there's rights fees for everything these days, but the sports is what's made the splash. And I would think they would try to have more of that presentation if they're trying to sell themselves as live sports. If it's a scripted entertainment program, like they used to say with, and with USA, who still considers them entertainment, the longest running dramatic program, whatever the fuck. Well, then you can watch that next week. It's not time dated. If, if you haven't seen it, it's new to you, whatever. The urgency isn't there, maybe, in some people's minds, besides the you know, two million people left. That's that's the WWE audience for better or worse. But I just I don't see anything live like the the days of the Attitude Era of, of you know surprising things going on. And I'm not talking about the stuff in the bathroom or whatever. I'm talking about the stuff with an Austin or a Rock or whatever the big shit. I don't see the the urgency of anything can happen or shocking or different or whatever on the WWE programs. They're slickly produced and all the talent makes their own matches and it flows from one thing to another and it all looks the same, especially Raw's three hours long. And on the other programming, AEW, you and I actually probably have more reason to watch that live than most people do because there is the the chance that anything can happen it's just that they never plan it that way anything some motherfucker is going to say motherfucker on the microphone on live cable or somebody's going to you know land in a horrible crash and burn and paralyze themselves or you know get carted off or something is going to be hilariously off-kilter. With the WWE, most of the time, nobody's going to do anything so stupid that they just collapse in a heap. Everything, injuries and anything can happen, but there's a level of professionalism. The production is not going to fall apart. Uh, you know, things are not just... Uh, sometimes there's things worthy of derision for being phony and silly, but not just completely off the rails like... I started to say Jim Ross. Rick Ross. Rick, don't that call Jim me Jim Ross, Ross. That Jim Ross is off the rails. Boy. So it's it's like you watch if one show knew. because anything can happen, but it's not it's not the fault of the people putting it together. It's really anything can happen because you never know from one second to the other if they know what they're doing. And on the other program, nothing ever fucking happens. I don't know. If you were a teenage wrestling fan, 
And a few years earlier, you had a best friend who watched it with you, and he doesn't watch it as much anymore, but you're still into it. Could you call him up in advance of this SmackDown and tell him anything that's going to be on this show that would make him, the older fan, the former fan, think, yeah, you know what? It's Friday night. I need to stop what I'm doing and watch this. There's not a lot happening. There's nothing on these shows, you know, the, the water cooler talk phrase or whatever you want to call it. There's nothing that makes you want to go out of your way to talk about this or see this. Why couldn't it's it be just, the coffee pot, by the way? Because you don't like coffee. People drink coffee, though. You don't. I don't drink water either. That, <laughs> no, I, still, be at the I still can't Zero get over cooler. that. I still can't get over you don't drink water. Water is just unflavored Sprite Zero, but nevertheless, you know, that that's the thing, is that what would I say? I would say, well, you'll love the stuff that Heyman and Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn do. Well, did they wrestle? Well, no, they, they do interviews throughout the show. Well, I'll just DVR it and skip through if I have time. It's not like, boy, this, this fucking show's cooking. They got all kinds of shit going on, a lot of talent. Things are fresh. And over on, you know, again, on the other program, I wouldn't be able to, I would say, don't watch this. It'll hurt your, if you used to like wrestling and don't anymore, don't watch this program. It'll hurt your feelings even worse, except for MJF. And as so then you're telling people, watch a part of the program. Don't watch the whole thing because a lot of it will just bore you or make you mad. But these certain people in this program, if you can search through the two hours to get to the 10 minutes of them, you'll love that. It's like the wrestling you used to watch. I don't know if that's a strong sales pitch. I don't think it is. But that's an indictment of wrestling, an indictment of SmackDown nowadays. And that was SmackDown, ladies and gentlemen, for January 6th. Correct? That's right. Well, that was WWE SmackDown for January 6th, a, another sad affair on a Friday night. <laughs> another sad affair on a Friday. How many sad affairs have you had on Friday nights recently? Uh, recently, none ever. Not too many. But I have to imagine some of the people out there are having a rough Friday night. Some people out there have a rough every night. And maybe there's not someone that... Boy, they... you're having a rough day, I'll tell you that. Folks, if you're like Brian Last <laughs> and you need somebody to talk to to practice your podcast, uh, or whatever the case may be, uh, our, fo our, our folks, our friends, folks, our friends at BetterHelp can help you. This show, by the way, is sponsored by BetterHelp, as so many of them have been over the past few years because we've been spreading the word that the folks at BetterHelp can help you be a better person. Sometimes life gets you bogged down like Brian's verbal skills today. You may feel overwhelmed. You're not overwhelmed, overwhelmed. I feel overwhelmed. You may feel overwhelmed at this whole thing, at this thing called life. You're not, you're not showing up and going on the field and giving it your all like you want to. Because when you're at your best, you can do great things. But when you're not, sometimes you can't dodge all those curveballs that life throws at you or your podcast co-host throws at you. So therefore, you need to somebody to talk to. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, entirely online. You don't have to go anywhere, talk to anybody in person. You can do it remotely. 
as the kids say, all you got to do is fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. And give it a try. If you want to live a more empowered life, then therapy can get you there. And right now, if you go to betterhelp.com, that's H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash J-C-E, you're going to get 10% off your first month's services. Betterhelp.com slash J-C-E, 10% off your first month's services. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp and you can be helped by BetterHelp and become your own person to sponsor somebody. You know, if BetterHelp helps you, you go out, you start a big company, it becomes like the WWE publicly traded worth billions of dollars, and then you can start spray. You can get sponsored by BetterHelp and spread the word around, and, and it'll just continue on like a tree blossoming and blooming in the forest, Brian. That's a forest of no good, it sounds like there. I'm giving you all I've got, Captain. You certainly are. Let me ask you, on the topic, you know, coming out of better help, just the idea of needing someone to talk to, do you think there should be almost an exclusive trade for like a wrestling therapist? Someone that knows the business enough that they could talk to wrestlers and actually help them through their legitimate problems that very often will involve the way they're being used, the way they're being booked, the money they're making, whatever it may be? You know, honestly, it on the surface of it, it sounds like a good idea, but then who would want that job? Think about that. You would have to talk to, on a daily basis, multiple insecure wrestlers, multiple strange, weird, and uh, unusual personalities that have all assimilated into this wild, wacky world we call pro wrestling, I think then the biggest call for therapists, it would be for therapists to give therapy to the therapists because they'd all be nuts. Maybe probably better just stay away from the wrestling business. Well, speaking of people in the wrestling business, before we went on the air, you mentioned to me that you had been I guess getting caught up, I'm not caught up. I've got a dossier here, go ahead. With the exploits of the Paul brothers, of course, Logan Paul may be the rookie of the year for 2022, and his brother Jake, who has had a presence during his matches and is a celebrity in his own right. Apparently you've been keeping up, or you're now caught up, as I said, with what's going on with them. Well, I'm working the Paul brothers beat. Actually, what I did was I got a, I got an investigator on him. I hired the noted investigator Jack from Finland. Have you heard about Jack from Finland? Jack the Finnish? No, I have not. Boy, don't do anything. Jack from Finland will find out if you do anything untoward or out of the way. He's got a complete dossier that he has forwarded. No, we've been talking about the Paul brothers and specifically Logan. I don't know which one's the older, which one's the younger. I hope they didn't come out at the same time. Side-by-side births generally generally lead to consequences for the mother. But we've heard that, you know, they got in trouble one time for, and I've been on the periphery of reading about this story in the past. They made fun of the suicide forest in, in Japan or whatever, and they got heat for that, and they've been known to, 
as Rocky Johnson used to say, shoot their moose off on the social media a little bit. But the, here, Jack from Finland has sent a dossier. Apparently, he's been following these characters around. He's compiled a list of their exploits, and they've gotten more heat outside of the wrestling business than I realized. Brian, would you like to hear of some of their their outside-the-ring shenanigans and uh, and tomfoolery? Sure, and just so you know, the first time I ever heard of them or any either one of them was Jake Paul was on a show on Disney Channel that my kids used to watch. So all I knew was it was a Disney kid actor. So how wait a oh, now this gives some of these things a whole new a whole new uh, complexion now if this guy used to be on the Disney Channel. All right, well let's talk about these characters then. And Jackson by the way, uh He's each one of these claims that he makes against the Paul brothers. He has a source in case we want to call bullshit. There's a, I can't give you the link here or whatever, but if you click on, I, he did have a source for all these stories, business insider, uh, no business insider, New York times, vanity fair, uh, New York times again, um, you know, various major media publications. So anyway, he begins, the Paul brothers rose to fame a number of years ago by making short videos on Vine. I guess for those of you who don't know, Vine is a street in Hollywood that intersects with Hollywood and uh, Hollywood and Vine. So I guess they were making short videos on the corner of Hollywood and Vine. Is that what I'm They were making here? short form digital videos and using a platform called Vine. Ah, isn't that what I said? No, not even close. Not even close. But they were making short videos on Vine and eventually moving to a house in L.A. where they published the address and started to terrorize the neighborhood with noise pollution, lighting a mattress on fire outside the house. Boy, you got to get a lot of friction going for you'll set one of their mattresses on fire. Parties, and on one occasion, claiming that one neighbor loosened a tire in their car which came off during driving on a highway, which led their fans to harass the neighbors. So bad neighbors. And apparently Jake filmed the neighbors without permission for a video, so they got sued for most of these. Sometimes their filmings had hundreds of fans just gathered at the house. LAPD visited the house 32 times in five days at one point. Now, what? <laughs> okay. Again, Disney star and his brother making videos, giving out their address. I got to go see this guy I've been watching on TV. That's how you build an audience. Can you imagine living next to these knuckleheads and they've got hundreds of people around the house and the cops show up 32 times in five days? And that's, that's not exactly keeping a low profile. Okay, that's continuing more than, on. That's more than one neighbor calling. Yes, I don't think that... I don't think... Uh, if you know, if, I know like Fanny, Fanny Featherbottom, she would be one to call the police 52 times or whatever, but she doesn't live out there. She lives here. He goes on during the George Floyd protests in Arizona, Jake Paul was recorded among looters in a mall, bashing a car what? window, and, <laughs> and one clip appears to show him handling a stolen bottle of vodka, is the quote. 
Uh, parenthetically, for the record, the mall looters were absolutely not affiliated with the Black Lives Matter movement. He was also raided by the FBI in relation to this. Wait a minute, that was the, this is the end of it. He was also raided by the FBI in relation to this. Now, wait, so Jake Paul is is so upset about the George Floyd situation that he joined looters in a mall bashing a car window and handling stolen bottles of vodka. I'm so confused by this, because A, I've never heard anything about this before. And I think I would have. Sources from New York Times and Inside Edition. So George Floyd, the, the, pro- protests, the protests are happening, are happening in, in the streets. Meanwhile, him and a bunch of hooligans decide to start looting the mall. And someone spots him. Hey, apparently, who said this? Jake Paul is stealing vodka. Yes, of all the people that have the the perfect right to be pissed off about the George Floyd situation, I don't know that Jake Paul is among them. This is crazy. Oh, also, Jake, I believe this is Jake. He hosted a large party during quarantine saying that the virus was a hoax, but he backtracked after being told off by everyone. Apparently now one rapper, another one rapper, another rapper, they're not rappers, I guess. One rapper, Post Malone, who apparently is the grandson of Pat Malone, the green shadow, I don't know. He said in a podcast that Jake's fan merchandise was hilarious and that he bought it to laugh at it with his friends. This led to Jake showing up at his door, personally delivering the merchandise <laughs> and filming the encounter without the rapper's knowledge. He published the video without censoring the address, so Mr. Malone had to move afterwards. Wow. Uh, then there's his brother, Logan. This guy who rose into fame along with his brother made a very unfortunate trip to Japan in 2017-2018 and I've heard about this somewhat, where he visited a forest where people have been known to go and end their own lives. He came across a dead body, filmed it for his YouTube video with him laughing around it, presumably out of the shock of seeing a dead body. Well, that's the first thing I do when I see a dead body is break it, break down laughing. Um, second would be, how can I get the fuck out of here? That is a weird reaction. Uh... He did apologize on Twitter with one of those bragging apologies. Hey, I get a lot of views. I work a lot type of deals. Oh, and on the same trip, he visited a sacred temple where people can throw a coin in and make a wish and pray silently. The cameraman asked him about his wishes and he responded with, and I quote, health, happiness, and hella bitches. (laughs) As he turned around and chucked a fistful of coins in the... Fountain that there are people praying around the thing that he throws the coins in there. Before this trip, he released a song where he was singing about his own merchandise for Christmas and fucking Mrs. Santa Claus. I saw mommy, daddy fucking Mrs. Santa Claus. I don't know. Mrs. Santa Claus, not Mrs. Claus. You went with the full name. Mrs. Santa Claus, that's what he wrote here. Mrs. Santa. Well, they're, they're very proper over in Finland. You know those fins. Uh, he continues, both brothers are known also for their, parenthetically, for legal reasons, allegedly scammy NFTs and crypto. I've heard something about this recently. You know, we've been getting a lot of emails about this. This part I've kind of been following a little bit. Well, he said, the estimates of how much the brothers have actually managed to allegedly 
pump and dump these different projects vary, but they are around two to three million dollars per brother in total. Could be higher, could be lower. Unfortunately for Jake, he's now named as a defendant on one class action lawsuit for promoting one of these things, Safe Moon. Now, Safe Moon, that sounds like one of those Japanese anime video games we were talking about here a few months ago where the, the dating game or that Safe Moon, that, that sounds very familiar. If the one-man gang turned babyface in 85. Oh, Moon. Moon to one-man gang, brother. He bad. Uh, anyway, Jack from Finland continues the most infamous of these projects. However, I guess these NFTs and crypto things and such. The most infamous of these projects is Dink Doink. They ripped off South Park's animation style and made a love song promoting this. The song starts off with the singer saying, Dink Doink is his favorite coin. Want you to dink on my face and take a doink on my chest. What? <laughs> I didn't hear about this either. <laughs> Apparently, parenthetically, this is still on YouTube. I, I hate to say that we might have made him some money. The central essence of all their projects have been the absurd references to dicks and sex. So they could then easily say, well, it wasn't serious while raking in some money from other people. Even the New York Times has reported both of the brothers' somewhat suspicious activities in the crypto space. Apparently now, he says, now I'd say you're unfortunately up to speed on the Paul brothers' history. They've just made news on this uh, crypto coin currency business, have they not? They did. Again, because so th this, this came from December. This is an email from December. No, they've been in the news for something. I'll see what I can find out. He's in the news today in the New York Post. From the New York Post, here's the headline. Pig allegedly owned by YouTube star Logan Paul abandoned, oh, oh, rescued. Wait, 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 wait. When, you, when you said he's in the news today or the New York Post, pig allegedly, I thought, well, why are they so fucking hot at him? Oh, this, this fucking pig. He allegedly did this shit, but we're going to call him a pig anyway. So he had a pig, and he was mistreated, or not mistreated, but uh, not well cared for by Mr. Paul. This is really worded in an interesting way. A pet pig owned by a, in quotes, famous YouTuber has been found abandoned in a field in a mangled state. What? Animal rescuers claim. Pearl, that's the pig. Pearl was allegedly found alone next to another pig who had passed away with a life-threatening infection in her uterus. Thankfully, she pulled through. Wait, but did they do a goddamn post-mortem, a, a, an autopsy on the pig to find cause of death? That doesn't seem like something that'd be visually obvious. Well, let's go back to Pearl. Thankfully, she pulled Pearl, through. Pearl, 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 don't give your love to Earl. I can give you diamond rings. I can give you many things. Though she is reportedly lucky to be alive. Footage of her heartbreaking plight has been shared by the Gentle Barn, a U.S. animal sanctuary who rescued Pearl from what they said would have been, would have likely been death. The now viral TikTok video Details the dire straits the pig was in when found. 
and claims Pearl was, quote, purchased originally from a breeder by an influencer. Boy, they just don't want to name who it is here. Well, now, wait a minute. Is this a full-size pig? This is a giant fucking pig. Dare I say, to the layman who knows nothing about pigs, I would go, that's a hog. But it probably isn't. But it's a big pig. To me. Well, and you have seen some people that you've associated with, so you would know how to measure and scope and estimate the size of various pigs. While her previous owner hasn't been directly named, social media has been quick to speculate the pig was once owned by YouTube megastar Logan Paul. Logan Paul, 27, has yet to comment, but has shared several photos and videos with his pet pig, also, oh, okay. So I was going to say, how did they come to the, but he's actually put the videos and the pictures out of him with poor, what was it? What well, was its name? He has shared several photos and videos with his pet pig, also named Pearl in the past. The Gentle Barn Sanctuary explained many pigs are often brought under the guise, excuse me, bought under the guise of being a mini breed and cause issues for owners when they grow up to be much bigger than expected. Well, but there ain't that many pigs named Pearl. That ought to narrow it down somewhat. Here's a quote. People often buy mini pigs or teacup pigs for clout online, believing they will stay small. Clout online? When they inevitably wait, grow wait, very hold on, large. Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. We're burying the lead here. What the fuck does that mean? Be- How in the world does that get you clout anywhere? Look, I've got a small pig. Oh, Salabim, Salabim, we must elect you God. You've got a small pig. What the, how the fuck does that impress anybody? If you gave birth to a small pig and and videoed that, that would impress the fuck out of me. But just buying one at a store, I I don't know that that's a, a bar of accomplishment that we need to fucking highlight. When they inevitably grow very large and have many unexpected needs, They're sadly discarded. (laughs) Like food and a place to shit 24 hours a day? Pearl's clearly been through so much trauma that we can't begin to imagine. But she's now safe with us at the Gentle Barn, was a quote here. While many in the comments section have been quick to claim Pearl is Logan Pig's pig. Logan Pig. (laughs) Logan Paul's pig. (laughs) There's a lot of peas in quick order there. I knew it was going to be worth doing this show today. Pearl is Logan Paul's pig. Wait a minute. What what else did it say about Logan Pig's Paul? (laughs) While many in the comments section have been quick to claim Pearl is Logan Paul's pig, (laughs) the gentle barn stressed in the video the pig they rescued was irresponsibly rehomed and then later (laughs) abandoned irresponsibly rehomed while we don't know everything she's been through in her past we know her life is now filled with friends well at least this would have been the transition to the better help spot if only (laughs) (laughs) by the way this show is sponsored by better help uh, fans have since begun flooding Paul's social media accounts, demanding an explanation. On Twitter, a photo Paul shared with Pearl in February 2020 has been overrun with accusations and comments of disbelief. 
Why did you abandon her? One furious user pressed. Can you explain how Pearl was found abandoned and injured in a field? Another asked. Others have shared side-by-side images shared by Paul of Pearl with the spotted pig in the rescue video. So the pig's name was Pearl Paul. In February 2021, Logan Paul, who has over 23 million YouTube followers, Logan Paul, the sister, the brother of Sister Pearl Paul, moved from his home in California to Puerto Rico. Some fan- Well, you can't take a pig to Puerto Rico. That's across the international date line. <laughs> There's regulations. Some fans of the star believe he rehomed Pearl during his relocation before she was later found abandoned by animal rescuers. See, no, abandoned is a good word, or dumped off on the side of the road or out in a field. Don't say rehomed. That makes it sound too nice. He was cr- the Pearl the pig gave Paul the best years of, of Pearl's life. And it was always there to love him and kiss on him and shit in his face. And all over the house, everywhere, all all Pearl ever wanted was to cuddle up at night about 250 or 300 pounds next to Logan Paul in the bed and exchange sweet nothings till they fell asleep at night. That's all. And instead, Pearl, Pearl was, was cast off like an old shoe. Pearl was cast off like, a, like an unwanted order of bacon. A video shared on his social media channel four years ago shows the star buying the pig from a breeder with an ex-girlfriend and naming her Pearl. Here's a quote from Logan Ooh, Paul. Now, wait a minute. Are you talking, did he name the ex-girlfriend Pearl or the pig? For Is that why he's mad at Pearl the pig? Because Pearl the pig was named after the ex-girlfriend Pearl that he's no longer with and he has deep-seated animosity toward the ex-girlfriends, therefore he took it out on Pearl the Pig? Is this what you're telling me? That's not what I, You just made up a whole fantasy scenario based on a sentence that had nothing to do with any of that. But he All was right. with an ex-girlfriend when he bought the pig. Here's a quote. This is the best decision I've ever made in my life, he states during the <laughs> vlog, while cradling the then piglet. By 2020, he had revealed the mini pig was now huge. Paul who has tried his hand at boxing after finding fame online, recently apologized to fans who lost money after investing in his cryptocurrency game, CryptoZoo. He was criticized for encouraging people to buy cryptocurrency collectibles. He should have been criticized for encouraging people to buy pigs. For what he called a really fun game that makes you money. But more than a year after its launch, no game has materialized, and Paul has apparently abandoned the project much like the pig, the BBC reports. <laughs> you know, if you can't take advice on what to do with your money from somebody who says that buying a pig was the greatest decision of his life, who can you listen to? Have you ever been in a position, Brian, in your life where at any point in it that you could utter the words, buying this pig is the greatest decision I've ever made and it would have been truthful? Are you done with that video? Okay. Oh, man. I'm going to get so much clout from showing these people that even though I'm rich and successful, I buy pigs. <laughs> I don't get any of this. I, I don't. Everything's done for attention. It was a clout pig. It was a clout pig. Logan Paul's pig, Pearl. 
Any other comments about this? Do you have anything else about the Pauls, or were we done well, with Well, Logan Paul's pig Pearl is precious. That little porker. Prissy little porker prancing and posing in the yard. Uh, I, I, I think we probably close this one up. Let's put a period on it. All right, we'll put a period on that. Let's get the next question mark over here, Jim. This one, a few people have sent it in. A&E has announced the next round of WWE Biography episodes. This next coming season will be Dusty Rhodes, China, Kane, the NWO, the Iron Sheik, and Jake the Snake Roberts. What are your thoughts on the roster for the next season? Well, you just rattled them off real quickly. I didn't have time to jot them down. Uh, We've you know, we've said before that they do a wonderful job on these as far as, you know, because they've got cooperation. So they have footage and pictures and, you know, and the uh, the only one that I can think of to date that was really a hit piece was the, the Randy Savage biography uh, that took a dark and disturbing turn. Everything else has been fairly positive, but it, it's... You know, it says again, it's it's fun for everybody to go back and look at the biographies of these people they considered big stars when there was a lot of people watching this business. I don't know. Does anybody want to see the biography of the Jericho Appreciation Society or whatever the fuck these days? So, you know, there's more, again, they're plumbing the... Uh, Plumbing the well for for more viewers and more programming based on the '80s and the Attitude Era when they they know they can get more eyeballs on those programs because more people were watching the stars of that era. So I mean, I mean, we'll, we'll I can't wait to see them. I don't know the NWO. That's kind of a of a, a loose uh, description of how deep are they going to go? Hall, Hogan, Nash, and uh, and where from there? I don't know if it, will Virgil make that cut. We're not sure. But um, hey, Darkseid did really good with that Grizzly Smith episode. What should we do? Why don't we do a Jake Roberts biography this season? That'll be a great well, way to capitalize on that. I and and here's the thing I was going to say about those individual ones. Besides the NWO, where they group a bunch of people in because they've already done they did Hogan, right? Hogan's had to have been done. I He's been done don't before, know. and he came back. But yeah, um, but like with Jake, it'll be interesting to see you know what his life story is now. How long's it been since you told it to us, Jake? The ending may have changed. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing some of those. I think I can. What was the the other ones? Give me that list again. Dusty Rhodes. Can't wait to see that. And Cody probably played a big part in it, so it could be interesting. Yeah. China. Didn't they do I China? Think, or, no, that's something else. Yeah. Well, everybody's done their take on China. I think you know it'll be a a short and sad one. Kane. Kane, we talked about that. I respectfully declined participation on the basis of that he got into politics and began supporting insurrectionists. This one could be interesting if done right. It won't be. The Iron Sheik. That may be, especially if they get into a much detail on his early years, that people 
you know, aren't overly versed on, that'll be very interesting. And or, I don't know, the interesting parts of the more interesting parts of Sheik's life have been when he wasn't the Iron Sheik uh, on a full-time basis, either beforehand or afterwards. I just want to hear him one time laugh in an interview, say, <laughs> and then he sent me another year's check. I stay home. <laughs> I've never heard him talk about Jim Hurd paying him for that second year. Uh, they, they bring me back to TV, want to job chic out. I fool them. All the matches so shits they can't show them. <laughs> All right, Jim. Well, another topic that too many people have sent in. I'll ask a question for everyone. Have you seen this video of Tony Atlas? With some woman punching him in the face and I saw stomping that him on, in the face. On Twitter yesterday. <laughs> and... With no context as to why, how this was happening, or where it was, or when it was, but Tony tweeted it himself with a like a Happy New Year or something like that. Well, I have the caption here: hashtag Old School can give it, and they can take it. hashtag Tough hashtag Old hashtag Man exclamation point hashtag Stomp hashtag Kick hashtag Punch <laughs> it's all in the mind and making me feel fine. And uh, but I'll try to get some audio here. Any thoughts on this? Well, he's. He, I'll try to describe it visually. Boy, this is one of the times I wish we weren't doing radio. He's laying on the ground, face down, well, chest down, his head's turned to the side, and the the lady in question is standing over him, punching him in the side of his face repeatedly until the end of the video where she stands up and stomps him in the side of his face a couple times. Now, Tony has not made a secret that he enjoys a lady's feet and always has enjoyed women's feet, probably enjoyed them to excess in a variety of ways. But I'm not sure where the just let this woman haul off and just start punching me in the jaw comes into it because that's not even involving the the feet <laughs> and also to be perfectly honest you know if you're down there on the floor you know the woman's wearing a skirt or whatever you might have a, a decent video a video a decent visual to go along with getting in the proper mood for whatever because i got to be honest with you, this is one that's even beyond me folks but if you're trying to get in the proper mood, but this woman, perpetrator of said events that we've just been discussing, looked like if you took olive oil away from Popeye, got her hooked on meth for about five or ten years, and then put her for 20 to life in a women's prison. That's what she looked like. And he said, let's film this. Hold on. I and he some, said, let's film this. I have some audio here. Let's, uh, well, I will listen. Here's her punching him in the face. <laughs> here come the stomps. Happy New Year! (laughs) (laughs) Ah, And you wanted to book him. (laughs) 
Well, uh, I, I tell you what, we could have done some great angles. Well, I guess he doesn't want the boys to hit him like that, though. Again, I always but, heard he likes women in high heels to step on his face. One time well, on Mid-South TV, he had a shirt. He actually wore with him laying down and some woman standing on his face. Yes, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I never heard he just wants like, women he picked up outside of uh, the supermarket to come home and punch him in the fucking face. <laughs> and then he films it. He's just laying there on his side. It looks like he passed out and she's just as casual as you could yeah, be. Yeah, she just, she just bending over. just but And, and you got to bet, not only the, the timing... And the repetition, but also she was hitting very hard in safe places. She didn't hit him in the ear. She's apparently had some practice. Next time you say, give me a beat, here's what I'm going to play. <laughs> <laughs> yo, listen. Yo, yo, listen. <laughs> Tony Atlas in the house. And yes, that is a mouse <laughs> under his eye because he's feeling fine. Because olive oil kicked him in the face right here in this place. Yo. Well, Jim, let's get far away from Tony Atlas here. I got an email that was sent in. I'm not going to give the person's name, but they were someone on vacation or on a trip to Japan. They were in the Tokyo Dome, and a lot of people have talked about your review of the Mercedes Monet, Sasha Banks debut in New Japan at Wrestle Kingdom 17. Let me read this to you, get some of your thoughts. Sears said this is an unsolicited eyewitness report of the Tokyo Dome debut of Mercedes Monet. With Monet, and it's with attached photos to show evidence that this is indeed a legitimate email, so we believe this person. I was at the Tokyo Dome for the Mercedes Monet debut. Some notes on how it came off live. They grouped all the international ticket buyers in one section in the seating bowl and the locals and others and on the floor. I was in the international section. You know, that that is kind of a good idea because that way not only do they, because people do travel to this event, not only would they put, probably most of the foreigners would be speaking English, put them all in the same section, but then they get the Americans quarantined where they can keep a good eye on them because they're such assholes. Well, not everyone's an American if they're in the international pool, but let me go back to this. She got a big reaction coming out in our section. I can't speak to the entire building, but as you mentioned, the acoustics in the dome are odd, but the place was so quiet you could hear a pin drop after the botched DDT. <laughs> That's because everybody had turned to go, Whoo? As for how it sounded on the broadcast, they have production crew holding handheld parabolic mics at ringside, so they really only pick up what the first few rows react to. See, that? That's interesting about how they mic the room there. Well, but now, that may not be... It may or may not be the case. I mean, because they had restrictions. We mentioned there weren't, it wasn't a full dome. They have the COVID seating restrictions. So they weren't going to make as much noise as 60,000 people in a normal year at the dome or whatever. But I would have to think that in the lighting grid, there are microphones because even a, my God, on Smoky Mountain OVW television, we still had microphones placed somewhere out toward the crowd where you could pick up the crowd noise rather than just depending on 
the ringside setup and the handheld camera microphones and anything that's wired to the ring. But maybe they did, and this fellow didn't know that because you can't look up at the lighting grid and see the microphones, but it that should be more directional where that picks up the sound from the greater part of the stadium. Or maybe they just weren't making any noise. I'll go back to this email here. Masks are still mandatory in Japan, and this was one of the first events with cheering aloud. The only people I saw in five days in the country without masks were tourists. <laughs> See, I told you the other day, the Japanese people are very polite and respectful and mindful of other people's personal space and well-being, and they respect authority and, and are reasonable about shit. It's all the assholes from somebody else's country that's over there trying to breathe on them. Now, you asked about her background, Sasha Banks, Mercedes Monet, before she got to WWE. This expert, and uh, I'm not saying that uh, facetiously, but this person who seems to know what they're talking about said this. I could speak a little bit about Mercedes personally. She's a student of wrestling. She knows what she's doing in the ring. William Regal knew her from when she worked as an extra at TV tapings in Boston and later scouted her on the indies. Regal went to Johnny Ace, Triple H, and Canyon Seaman, there's a name from the past, when they were only hiring swimsuit model types. He told them that if they signed her and she didn't become a star, they could fire him. He says she was the first person he ever went to bat for to that degree. Promos and character work have always been her weakness. Luckily, New Japan isn't a promo company. They well, <laughs> I'm just, let's hold on. Let's stop there. If, okay, if she knows what she's doing in the ring, why did she try that first, that move that she botched wasn't going to be the most amazing thing that the people in the Tokyo Dome that day had ever seen to begin with, because they, and they're about to see Twinkle Toes and Ostrich, so they'll see everything. I, I, on a debut of that scope and that size, I would have thought she should err on a side of safety and do something that she knew she could hit. It wasn't missable, and it was still got the point across, but... Promos and character work apparently are her weakness. However, let's end with this, because this may be the real story here. They set their all-time viewership record for their streaming service at the event, beating Jericho versus Omega. They added 40,000 subscribers for this show. You can attribute that to her or Omega if you prefer. Oh boy. Her matches. So you mean 40,000 people signed up for New Japan World or whatever to see old Mercedes Monet? And finally, let me end with this. Her match is the only match announced for the February 18th pay per view in San Jose, and they've sold 2,120 tickets, all but 30 tickets. Uh, capacity is 2,150. So off just her name. and that So they're about match. sold out. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you what, this goes to show you sometimes, because she obviously wasn't moving tickets like that in the WWE, where everybody was watching her on television. But if you take somebody and you put them in a new environment, with a, a new gimmick, or new opponents, or new or just get people interested in what are they doing now, 
the same person that was on the card for the WWE, and I'm not trying to discount her contributions to the WWE, but was she herself selling an extra 2,000 tickets to any of those shows just because she was on it? Probably not. But now everybody, she's got attention, and everybody's like, what's she going to do next, and how's it going to turn out, and blah, blah, blah. And this is, again, the most motivated segment of the audience, the people that are following this. So a new coat of paint and a new environment does wonders for a lot of people. That's what A lot of people have forgotten that Hogan, before he went to WCW and then the whole NWO thing happened, Vince couldn't wait to move him out because he wasn't drawing a dime. Because people were tired of it. It was the same old thing. How can I miss you if you won't go away? So now she kind of went to another place, and some people are afraid they're going to miss her. Maybe she ought to get together with Mandy Rose and do the, uh, I keep saying only fans, and people are saying that's not what Mandy's doing. She's on a fucking nicer fans site or whatever. But nevertheless, they're they're doing their own thing, the kids these days, Brian. Well, let's talk about uh, another thing that several people have sent in questions about. Jim, your thoughts on word that came out that on, I believe, December 30th, the passing of Johnny Powers. You know, uh, that Johnny Powers is probably, I would say, the biggest name in wrestling of the 60s and 70s that I not only never saw in person, I've never met to this day, but I never even until the last few years, and especially when he just passed away and people put some links up of his matches, never even fucking saw him. And at the same time, he was in a pretty important and pivotal place for uh, quite a number of things in wrestling in the Buffalo Territory. And it that was where you know, he pretty much stayed for most of his career. But, uh, I mean, how much have you seen of Johnny Powers actually in the ring? Well, I mean, the first clip, and for many years, the only clip I saw was the actual Riot video. You know, which isn't a fair representation of really much. Right. Especially considering he was a babyface for so much of his uh, run. And we might should explain that, that the the Riot we've talked about in Cleveland, Ohio, with Ox Baker and Ernie Ladd, Johnny Powers was the third guy in there. And it was an angle where Powers had just switched heel. And that's why, you know, one of the biggest reasons why the people were so fucking mad was that Ernie Ladd was a big baby face at the time. And so had been had Powers been. And then they did that angle and got out of hand. But not too much. I'm trying to think of the specific examples. I know I've seen some stuff from Japan that was even filmed in the States with him, uh, especially, you know, Noki beating him for the NWF title. But not too much, and a lot of that's because there isn't too much. Despite Pedro Martinez eventually having a major catalog of footage he acquired, he didn't have too much NWF stuff. There's a few things from the IWA, and I saw a clip, I think PW Insider put it up, a clip from the old Buffalo days in the 60s when he was young and had the bleach blonde hair. But the point is... Before the wig. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Power, he was a, a guy who got in the business, and I've read an interview that he did with Scott Teal, I believe it was a long time ago. It's been published in one of Scott's books. And But Powers was a guy who got in the business. He had good size and 
and a good aptitude for what the business was about, and he pursued pretty quickly the business end. He got over as a local area guy in the Buffalo-Cleveland territory early on for Pedro Martinez, the promoter. And by what, the end of the 60s, he was he was booking for Martinez, and he was a figure in the office there in that territory, as well as being the guy that was pushed on top most of the time as a babyface, sometimes as a heel. As a booker, he did the, uh, people may not remember this now, but there was a Super Bowl of wrestling done in the Cleveland Municipal Stadium back in 1972 when the NWF, National Wrestling Federation, was the promotion there in that area. They were in between the Sheik in Michigan and Vince Sr. in the Northeast, and they were right up you know, above Bruiser in Indiana and the Carolinas and Crockett. And that territory was what later was sold to Antonio Inoki in, what, 73, so that he, he bought his own American world heavyweight title because they had their own world title, so that he could be a star in America for the Japanese press. But the, the Super Bowl show in Cleveland at the stadium, they actually they brought in a shitload of talent. I think, who was it? Was it, uh, oh, God damn it. Was it Valentine and Powers on top for the NWF title? Oh, I was going to say Ernie Ladd, but maybe. It no, may have been Ernie Ladd, but nevertheless. But they had three rings going at the same time for the earlier matches because they had so many matches, and that had to be distracting as fuck. But uh, the thing is, and it didn't draw that big of a house at that time that the territory had been in better shape and that big hot shot type of thing, you know, didn't do it. So, I mean, you see the pictures. There's a lot of empty seats. I've been in that stadium for a wrestling event, and it's big, but they said, what, the Super Bowl may have done 12,000 people or something like that. And now for Cleveland, 12,000 people, that's a big deal. And they ran the town regularly, but back then it was considered a, a flop. But, but that's the thing. Powers was in the office. He was the booker. He was partners with uh, Martinez. And he's the one that put Inoki over when Inoki bought the territory, which of course that was the beginning of the end for wrestling in Cleveland and Buffalo being different than the WWWF because Enoki didn't care about running Cleveland and Buffalo. He wanted an American world title and to be the champion of a promotion. So what they were done by the next year, right? As far as a separate territory. It didn't last too much longer after the Enoki thing. And what, by 75, they were getting things together with Einhorn. Yeah. And, and Johnny Powers was, involved in that with the original IWA formation that he got involved with. And when Einhorn was ready to get out, then Powers, uh, and I'm not going to give all the details this correctly, but Powers ended up with probably a backer or two taking the thing over and trying to make the IWA a strictly Carolinas-based promotion and run opposition to Crockett. And that didn't work out very well, but it, it bought the IWA, what, another year and a half or so until 77, 78. But he was always trying to be involved in an office, always trying to be involved in the booking and the matchmaking. He seemed to be a business-oriented guy that knew that that was where you made all the money in wrestling. 
So, and since then, um, what early eighties, he was done as a wrestler. There was, you know, I'm sure he tried to probably put together a few things, but there wasn't a lot of places to go. I wonder if he made a lot of friends with always being involved in the office and trying to do some of those things and run opposition to Crockett and et cetera. But he didn't do uh, any real fan fests or autograph shows or whatever, even in the last 10 or 20 years when everybody has. So he's one of those guys that if you didn't study the history of the wrestling territories, you would not know Johnny Powers, but he was for a 20-year period, figured in pretty heavily in what went on. If you were a kid who grew up in Cleveland, he was the biggest wrestling star. Yeah. It, as a matter of fact, at one point in what, the late 60s, their television show was Championship Wrestling with Johnny Powers, right? That was the title of it. So it, it, it's an example of, in the territory days for the people in that particular area who had only seen the television geared toward them, a guy that somebody in another part of the country had never heard of before could be viewed as the greatest wrestler in the world. And that happened more than once in a variety of places. Nobody could convince anybody in Amarillo, Texas, that Dory Funk Sr. wasn't the toughest guy in the history of the world. But somebody in Washington State may have never fucking heard of him before but there you go rest in peace johnny powers and your power lock jim our next question sent the corny drive through at gmail.com from charlie in starkville mississippi <laughs> it's one of those kind of weeks huh you got to go to charlie this early chris jericho recently had a twitter rant regarding his bad experience with the wyndham hotel chain what? Jericho tweeted, and this is in quotes, I accidentally pressed wrong button for the suites I reserved for Wyndham Hotels in Deerfield Beach. When I called the change 20 seconds later, I was told, quote, tough luck, deal with it. <laughs> I found that unreasonable and would <laughs> like to change, not cancel, in caps, this res, total swindle. What are your thoughts on Jericho's issues with his reservation? How many times have you had to deal with hotel <laughs> reservation issues? Well, uh, I wasn't there. I wasn't even there. But I, I've been doing hotel reservations for 40 years, and sometimes, yes, things do go sideways. But I don't know that I've ever had anybody on the phone tell me, tough luck, deal with it. They usually just hang up on you when you're getting pissy with them and they can't be nice to you anymore. They don't generally go, well, tough luck and deal with it. But, you know, that's the thing is, hey, that Wyndham family, did he did he talk to Blackjack or was it Barry? <laughs> Maybe Kendall? No, no, different Wyndhams. Oh, well, then he got the wrong Wyndhams. Well, then he, if he's trying to stay on Blackjack Mulligan's couch, he should have called the right Wyndhams. Uh, no, hey, hey, it's not that difficult if you start early. And here's the thing. He called on the phone because he pressed the wrong button to begin with. I've never made... How long have I been making hotel reservations? It's 2023, 40... Well, I started traveling as a photographer. 45 years I've been making hotel reservations. I've never made one online. I talk to a human being every fucking time. Tell them where I want to go, when I want to be there, and I make sure that they read it back to me. I get the confirmation number. 
on the phone, which used to be the only way to do it. Now I'll get it on the phone and I will watch for the email that backs up that confirmation. But I never start and initiate trying to do anything unless I'm talking to a human being. They're still going to fuck it up, but at least you got somebody to blame. Yeah, maybe Jericho has no one to blame but himself for his hotel issues. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> if he wants to get even, who's he going to sue himself? Well, that's where I was going, but it's hard to play the music yeah. after that. Who's he going to sue himself? Well, so I'll save this for you. So what he ought to do <laughs> is he ought to just mind his own beeswax because he may get sued. Because I'll tell you what, if I know Chris Jericho, I know that he was rude and impertinent, impert even incontinent, but especially impertinent to that reservationist on the phone and that reservationist at the Wyndham Mulligan hotel chain may indeed want to sue Chris Jericho for defamation of character. And in that case, I know exactly who that Wyndham Hotel employee should call. Call Stephen P. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the ominous tones that you heard at the start of that, that that was music scored and performed by Ominous O'Hara, that great movie musician, for the man that he brings people to their knees whenever he walks in a room. He makes your knees freeze, your liver quiver, and your spleen turn green. He strikes fear in the hearts of evildoers and perpetrators around the country and the world. As a matter of fact, if you want to see fear stricken in a perpetrator's heart, then you just follow the man, the myth, the legend around Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. It's amazing, Brian. You've seen him do this. He can walk down any street in America, and as soon as Stephen P. New passes a perpetrator, instantly they start shaking like a dog shitting peach seeds. They go into chaos. They start sweating and they start humming a humming and they start shaking and they're nervous because they know they're about to be exposed. They're about to be found out. They're about to be brought to justice, brought to heal. They're about to be taken to the cleaners. They're about to be dipped in the bathtub because they are going to be stripped of every worldly possession they have by Stephen P. New and his minions at New Law Office and all those possessions are going to come to you, ladies and gentlemen, the deserving public who's been wronged or harmed or injured or maligned or in other ways put out by some greedy or avaricious individual or corporation. If you've been wrongfully terminated, if you've been poisoned, if you've been run over by a car or a truck or a bus or a motorized conveyance, a streetcar, an ox cart, whatever they tried to run you down with, He'll get even for you in a court of law, will Stephen P. New. And don't even get me started on all the things he's going to do to that energy company down there in Louisiana 
this is already in the works, folks, that took government money to pay out to their evil corporate overseers instead of fixing the power grid left a bunch of people not able to plug themselves in and give their hearts a jump start after the last hurricane. Newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. If somebody has damaged you in some kind of way and you need legal recourse, he's the man that's going to get you paid. And we've said it a million times, if he can't get your ass paid, your ass does not accept cash. Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. Dun-dun-dun. That's right. Stephen P. New, a great man, a great friend of the show, the conciliary of the cult of Cornette, and a man who can help people out if they have any kind of legal problem or at least push you in the right direction. And Jim, a lot of He can things, help you out of jail, too. A He'll bake you a cake with a file in it. He doesn't do that. That's illegal, by the way. But one thing, Stephen... It's definitely unsanitary. Stephen's often talked about the idea of building a time machine and going back in time and being able to sue bookers on behalf of disgruntled wrestling fans. And on that topic, Jim, several people have sent in to the drive through email and on Twitter a recent Vince Russo quote, and I only ask you because enough people have sent it in that it's worth asking you. Again, we try not to give the undeserving any more publicity than we can, than we can help, but this stuff writes itself. This is not a parody. This is not a comedy routine we're about to do. This is not something that we sat down and said, how can we make this guy sound as stupid as humanly possible? Let's make some shit up and then attribute it to him and make mockery of him that way. This is stuff he's actually saying in his mind seriously. He's coming up with it himself, and he's putting it out there in public on his own. So it's not like we're kicking the innocent victim when they're down. The innocent victim gave us the fucking hammer to hit him with and laid there in front of us. The question is, and I'll read this in a second, do you think he puts this out there to get the reaction, or does he think, no, that's the, that is what I've been trying to explain to people for 30 years, and maybe now they're starting to figure it out. We see the comments that the, they are starting to figure it out. He's serious. He means this. He believes that what he is saying is what everybody else was seeing at the time and now and whenever. He believes what he is saying. To, and he would say things like this in person. And you would go, go ahead. I say no more. Well, here's a tweet from Vince Russo. Sitting here writing eight shows for Rocky Mountain Pro, 10 p.m. Saturday night. I'm going to say same thing I told Vince McMahon in 1997. It just comes to me. Don't know why, but 25 years later, it still comes. God gave me gift of writing compelling sports entertainment shows. Why? I have, he doesn't say I have, just no idea. And the end of that's all in caps. Writing compelling sports entertainment shows. Why? No idea. God just gave it to him. Who said God wasn't a vengeful, weird God? <laughs> it's a weird statement to put out there, isn't it? He believes that. It's still, it's, 
I know people disagree with me, but and and you're certainly entitled to that. And there is a case to be made for whatever I've done in my life that if you liked it, it was good. If you didn't like it, it was bad. You could make a case. But at least I'm on that I'm on that fence. It could go either way. It could go to the left, it could go to the right. But almost universally, at this point in time, especially since it's been 20-something years and he's never fucking been able to fucking drop that bag in that cornhole again, he's a fucking idiot and his shit never made sense. And he was a bullshit artist and people that didn't know anything about wrestling. But at the same time, he believes that he was Shakespeare. And that I guarantee you he would stand behind everything he said there if you put him on the stand in a court of law and put his hand on the Bible, the Koran, Superman number one, whatever you want to swear on. He was, oh yeah, it's just a God-given ability I have to write compelling sports entertainment. No idea why. Did you see someone just got sworn in on Superman number one? Well, that's why I mentioned that. Yes, there's a there's there's a comics fan, and uh, how about this? The Library of Congress or whatever has a copy of everything, so they just hauled out the Superman number one, so he could oh shit take his oath on it. I didn't know that's how it happened. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. You know, I actually heard that. Since let's get off a of shit stain and, and talk about something fun, there is actually a um. Well, it's a part of the Library of Congress is that they get or keep or store or file or whatever a copy of every publication in the United States or that's published in the United States. So they got a lot of money up there. I wonder who's working the security. That needs to be the next heist movie. Somebody fucking breaks in and steals the Superman number one, the action one, the Marvel mystery, whatever the case. And uh, and where's all this fourteen million dollars of comic books going? But yeah, they 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 there's actually also the DC uh, National Periodical Publications kept file copies, and there exists a bound set of like the first I don't know how many were in fifteen or twenty or however many issues there were in this set of action comics, but they've all got binder holes poked in them. Because they put him in a binder. Oh, back to uh, the other guy. Yeah, he actually says this shit out in public where people can get a good, strong whiff of it. And he believes every word. But to do it out in public, do you think it's kind of like a recruiting thing or, you know, trying to not recruit, but trying to pitch himself for work? Like, look at what I can do. Yes, look at me. I've been great all along. It's all the other people that just won't admit it. He's he was sitting there smelling his own brand on a Saturday night, writing formats for a wrestling promotion that no one in the world knows exists. And it came to him how brilliant he was. And he had to let the the greater population out there know that he still got it. Clap, 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 clap. He still got it all right. Penicillin won't even fucking run it off. Jim, it appears that one story has swept the airwaves for a while now, but especially a lot right now. Am I the only one sick of Prince Harry and his wife? 
You know, I've seen now he's got a book out and I, I, I don't, is this a, uh, is this a Cody and Brandy kind of situation where I, a princess die? I don't even think got as much attention as what's Harry's princess's name. Megan Markle. I thought her name was Mega. <laughs> no, that's someone else's princess. Oh, but anyway, um, I don't really know a lot of the details, but I, he's spilling the tea from what I understand about the evil Camilla Parker Bowles. You know, Camilla Parker Bowles and Renee Moxley Good used to hang out and drink tea together. Did you know that? I don't believe that could possibly be true, no. Well, it, it could if you don't pay close attention. What's going on with Harry? Hey, who do you think Prince Harry's dad is? Because it clearly isn't Prince Charles. Well, I don't, I, I don't want to accuse. It Princess clearly Diana isn't Prince of, Charles. It clearly is not Prince Charles. Just because the, you know, what the, the red hair, it could have been hidden in the royal family for centuries because of the inbreeding, and then it just popped. It was all. It was a dormant gene, and then it just popped up right out of whoever's genes into Diana. You know, the thing is, I see him getting interviewed. I saw him last night with Anderson Cooper. I watched a little bit. I, eventually, it was unbearable. I had to turn it off because it's just whining. And part of it's my family acts different. They don't talk to me right now. They don't want me around. They don't invite me. And it's like, yeah, because you're writing fucking books and you're doing nonstop interviews and filming documentaries. You're a stooge. You're stooging on everyone. Why do they want you around? Even if they're not doing anything wrong. It's just like, yeah. This will be in volume two of his next book. I get it. Yeah, well, that's that's because, you know, you're a member of the Lithuanian royal family. A lot of people don't know that. I don't think that's true at all. I'm not Lithuanian in any way. No, you you are a, a distant member of the Lithuanian royal family. You told me that when we first met and all those different uh, procedures and customs that you had to go through to, you know, when you go back home for your family get-togethers and everything, and there's the the ceremonial passing of the broccoli and the bowing uh, on on one knee while left putting your left elbow down on the ground and putting your left hand to your chin to put your right thumb to your nose to wiggle your four fingers in the air at the picture of Queen Eleanor of Lithuania. You've told me these things many times. This is the worst episode we've ever done. Anything. <laughs> ever. Let's get another question here. Maybe one or two more, and then we'll get the hell out of here. We'll have a breaking news update if anything happens later this week. But what's going on in Lithuania? Nothing. Jim, let's go to this question, this email from this email to Courtney Drive Through at gmail.com from Christopher in Connecticut. Before I get to my question, a comment on the Mandy Rose stuff. An important factor you have been missing in your calculations and speculation on the money she is making is that the monthly subscription is not the only revenue stream she gets for her service. From her uh -huh. service. From her service, excuse me. She and most platforms like hers offer pay-per-view images and videos on top of the subscription entry fee. Think ESPN Plus and UFC pay-per-views, you have to pay the $5 for ESPN+, Plus, then pay $50 for the current UFC pay-per-view. 
Oh, well, they get you coming and going then. I've seen screenshots of these going as high as $200 for a single image. I believe she also takes requests and private messages. What is the wait? What but is I the image of? I don't know what of? the additional fees are for. What? What, what, what is the? What was the two hundred dollar image of? Who knows? I take it she's probably not replicating the Mona Lisa. So what? One picture is worth two hundred bucks. What do you think of this? Having a personal seat license, and then once people are in their seat, you have to charge them more for the hot dog. And well, it did, I think she's probably getting the hot dog for free. Uh, that's what people are paying for to watch her get the hot dog. And don't even get me started on the cheesesteak, because right there, that that's pay-per-view material. Uh, I, that's uh, the upcharge. I mean, you know, there's how can I say this in a nice way? Whenever you're negotiating with a young lady, there's... There's always the possibility of the upcharge past what you've been quoted when the initial encounter began. And it's up to you whether or not that the product that you will receive for the upcharge is worth the cost of the upcharge itself. But there's always the danger of getting hit with that. And sometimes you're in a, a vulnerable position where potentially you're not thinking with the right head. And you make these decisions. But I'd have to see that $200 picture. Jim, let's go back to Christopher's question here. This is Oh, the, he had a question. This is the question from Christopher in Connecticut. Now for my actual question. I recently had the pleasure of serving Ronda Rousey for dinner at the restaurant I work at. Wait a minute. What? He's admitting to a crime here? Not only that, but he works at a restaurant that fucking practices cannibalism? Cannibal. And why haven't we heard about Ronda Rousey disappearing? If he served her for dinner, right. how did they prepare her? Well, back to this email here. In spite who, of who was partaking of Ronda Rousey for dinner? In spite of her bad reputation, what was dessert like? Despite her bad reputation amongst more, uh, I can't fucking read now. <laughs> In spite of her bad reputation, pun intended, amongst many fans, she was lovely to have. She didn't see the way he worded it just plays into your stupidity. What the fuck? Back to this. It was the loveliest meal I ever had. I'd recommend Rhonda medium rare to everyone. She didn't throw her celebrity around, gave me and my boss a picture, and her daughter was the cutest thing. And, and gave his boss some indigestion later on in the night. It got me thinking, though, what is the proper etiquette for serving wrestlers? Obviously, much of what you know likely doesn't apply in the modern business, but at least in your day, what was the proper way to behave? Did you just want to be left alone? What kinds of questions and comments were appreciated? And which got you hot? And from the wrestler's side, how did both baby faces and heels handle tipping? Well, number one, no, you don't want to be just left alone by your waiter. That's the one person you do want to have some interaction with. Yes, to be honest, if you're having a meal in a restaurant, if there's fans there, you know, the old rule of thumb was wait till at least whoever is finished eating before you go up to them and ask for an autograph or whatever. And then, you know, reasonable people will treat you with reason. And if somebody's a prick, they'll still run you off. But don't just go up while the guy's got 
goddamn giant hunk of Ronda rarebit in his hand, having Ronda for dinner and go, hey, can I have your autograph? Well, there's grease all over the, you know. So no, you don't want to be left alone by your server. Um, comments that get over are comments like, would you like something else to drink? Or can I get you anything else? How about some ranch dressing? Those comments at a dinner from a server are always welcome. Comments like, that was a shitty fucking match you had last month. Probably won't get over. And as far as tipping, no, the, the, just because you were a heel in the territories, even Bill Watts wouldn't say, now heels, I don't want you to go out and tip anybody. Cause you know, the next time you go in there, they might augment your meal with something if you stick them on the tip. So heels and baby faces wouldn't be dining together or even in the same restaurant because people would see one guy at one table on one side and one guy at the other table on the other side and go, ah, see, they're all eating together. So that was not allowed, but you could still tip your server if you wanted to. And uh, Bad experiences actually, with waiters or servers. Well, actually... I w me and Lawler, it was after a Dennis Coraluzzo show, me and Lawler and Dennis, and I'm trying to think who else was there. This was in like 97, 98. Uh, I was in Connecticut and uh, had done a show for Dennis. We go to Denny's and Lawler's sitting, it's a big round table like they have at Denny's. Lawler's sitting on the far end and he hears something and you see him kind of looking around because our server was talking to this other guy. It's in another one of the servers. And they had said something about, yeah, isn't that all wrestling? Isn't that all fake? And Lawler said, hey, what'd you say? And the guy said, excuse me? And Lawler said, yeah. I said, hey, fuck face. What did you just say to him? And he said, whoa, humming, 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 humming. Well, I was just talking about you guys are wrestlers, right? He said, yeah. Well, I wrestled a little in high school, and I was. And Lawler said, "You just told him that what we do is fake, right?" Well, well, yeah, because that's what we were told back when I wrestled in high school. He said, "Well, I tell you what, maybe if you'd paid better attention in high school, you wouldn't be serving us at Denny's right now. You'd be on TV like we are. So we don't come over here and fucking tell you how to sling the goddamn hash browns around. So don't come and and." Tell us that we're fake. How about that? Oh, I'm sorry. So I, I'm telling the next day or two or the following week, we're at Vince's, and I'm telling Bruce this while Vince is wandering around doing something, but he hears it. He says, why did he say that to that fellow? I said, what? Why did he call him a name? I said, fuck face? I said, because he said wrestling was fake. And Vince said, well, it is. And that's, it was... Vince didn't want you to actually even support or protect the business when you were out in public. And as I used to drive me out of my mind, I said, well, maybe if we were in a courtroom or even in a business negotiation, we might not litigate so heavily whether wrestling was not fake or not. But since it's some fucking dipshit at Denny's talking behind our backs, I kind of liked it. But anyway, what was the question? How to serve etiquette for serving wrestlers. Oh, I thought the question was, what's the next question? Should you come over and drop inside terms? Uh, no, I, I don't think, uh, hey, can you drop down and shoot me the salt would uh, necessarily be. What, 
if what a about, server said the word what about kayfabe, one tackle get the bread again if a server said kayfabe to you how would you react say no my name's not k it's melissa <laughs> All right, another banner question on this banner by the, episode. By the way, for the people who like, what the fuck is he talking about? Missy Hyatt first got around the business before she was in the business. She was seeing people that were in the business, but every time she'd show up around the locker room or whatever, people would scream kayfabe. And finally one day, just like Harley's coughing in the background right now, and finally one day she got sick and tired of that, and she spoke up and said, my name's not Kay, it's Melissa. Let's get another question here. Jim, a popular topic, one that is captivating some fantasy wrestling fans. The idea of Tony Khan, or more appropriately, Shad Khan, purchasing WWE. Oh, come on. Lots of questions have come in about potential buyers, but an inordinate amount have come in about the idea that Tony should, or that Tony could, or that Tony would (laughs) buy WWE. So... Without dismissing it and laughing about it, what are your thoughts on the cons as potential buyers of WWE? Okay, in in all honesty, and I think we mentioned this when we did the breaking news on Vince first coming back. Yes, Shad Khan was willing to give his son his inheritance early so he could see him enjoy spending it. But I don't even know if Shad, and, and Shad has other children, doesn't he? But I don't know if even he is prepared to say, okay, let's get into a $6 billion deal, Tony. You've been doing so well with what you got. Because who knows what the bottom line of AEW is? Because I know a lot of people like to talk about, oh, well, they've done a million-dollar gate here and there and everywhere, and the TV rights fees. But as we've mentioned also, besides the fact that they've spent by their own admission, tens of millions of dollars on the video game that will be out shortly in stores near you. The hundred and something wrestlers under contract and the amount of money that they spend on their production of not only the Dynamite, but also Rampage. And the YouTube shows aren't free just because we scoff at them. They've spent an incredible amount of money They've taken in an incredible amount of money, and who knows what's what, but that doesn't mean, number one, that Shad Khan is going to say, okay, I'm ready to pony up $6 billion all at the same time. And then what would they do with it? Because, again, this is so far above, and this is not even a knock on him. It's far above me, and I've worked there longer than he has, which would be at all so far above Tony's level of expertise, comfort, or competence to run a company of that size. And yes, I know all the employees would come over, but he's still got to tell them what to do and decide which ones to listen to and which ones not. And then (laughs) they wouldn't sell it to him because, again, if you're... Whether it's the WWE or whether it's Sony Pictures or whatever major entertainment entity, yeah, you might want Warner Brothers Discovery to buy it or Disney to buy it or NBC Universal to buy it or whatever, but it, just because some fucking clown that won the lottery had $6 billion, would you say, okay, well, he's outbid 
Warner Brothers Discovery or NBC Universal by $200 million. So we're going to sell it to the fucking guy that's going to bring $6 billion in a shoebox. And, and, and good luck to him after that. We don't give a shit. No, this would be so far and above over all of their heads on how to run a company like that. The employees at a not only at the highest level, but also fairly well down to the middle of the company would be more experienced, more well-versed, and more organized in running a business than what the owner would be at that point. One thing we can't say about Vince is that he doesn't know how everything works in that company, who does everything, who's responsible for everything, and the fucking, you know, the wrestling fans get mad because his booking went insane or just becoming stuff to please himself over the last however long. But has anybody ever said Vince McMahon's an idiot when it comes to business? So no, it's ridiculous. It's just fucking ridiculous to think that that would happen or that they would even probably let it happen. What do you think? What do I think about what? What do you, how much do you scoff at the idea of the cons ponying up $6 billion for the WWE? I scoff at it because, again, we're talking a lot about businesses as opposed to individuals. I think Shad Khan is worth somewhere between, uh, depending on the estimate, 8 and $12 billion. The Jaguars, hold on, let me look up. So right there, I'm going to give half of what I've got. For this one business to make my son happy. The Jaguars, the NFL franchise they own, well, he owns and his son owns because of being his son. The franchise value of the Jaguars for 2022 is $3.48 billion. So WWE, because they're going to want ridiculous money, and I personally don't think it's worth it, they're going to want almost double, if we assume what we've been hearing, what the NFL team cost. Well, and now, no, wait a minute. Was that what the NFL team cost? Or oh, that's no, what, what it's, it's worth. Valued what, the, what, it's valued, what it's Excuse worth. me. What it's valued yeah. at. Yes. So uh, the point is, they just don't have $3.8 billion laying around in the Jaguars' checking account. That's just what the valuation is of all of the various things coming into play. And that's probably high. Do you think this is going to end up being like Turner Broadcasting buying WCW? That's I mean, it's what hard, I'm afraid it, of. It's hard to think of too many other roads. And let's be honest, as we're talking about the sale of WWE and the state of AEW, and they've had a couple of good dynamites, there is a chance that in the future we'll look back at this as the beginning of the conversation about the death of professional wrestling. Well, and that's what I'm worried about. And I wish they'd wait a few more years because then I'll be completely retired and they can do whatever they want to the business. But um, it, it, Turner Broadcasting bought WCW for many of the same reasons a conglomerate would buy the WWE today, only the reasons have magnified. Back then, it was their one of their highest rated programs, if not their highest rated. They wanted all the content. They wanted to keep it on their station. And they were seeing the, you know, the the touring business that was healthy and thinking, well, you know, healthy for the time. If if we're behind it, it'll get much bigger than this. And so they saw an opportunity to have their 
biggest programming and in-house and make money with it and blah, blah, blah. Problem became they didn't know anything about wrestling when they were confronted with one of those wrestling things where you say, well, you don't, you can't do that. You do it like that. Well, why? And they didn't get it. And they ran off the talent and they fucking ran off the fans. And a year after they bought it, the houses were 25% of what they had been. And the TV ratings were down because the talent was disgruntled and everything was sideways because they had all the money but they couldn't call the main shots. That needs somebody with wrestling experience. And so, yes, Triple H and Stephanie are still there and hopefully would be there, but if some unknown entity buys that, the WWE, they control not only the largest company in the world, but the largest by four or five times at least, and... You know, AEW is the only thing even close in this country, and they're not close at all. And, you know, what happens if they fuck the whole thing up? Then there you go. But Vince will still have his check for five or six billion dollars. And he'll be running it. That's what it's going to be. Buy the company, give me all this money, and then hire me back to be either the executive consultant or the CEO. Well, at that point, then I wouldn't be as worried if if Vince was running it and a big conglomerate owned it as if I would the big conglomerate owned it and they were telling the people what to do with it. Because no matter what Vince would do, it wouldn't be as bad as we've seen in the past. Every time that some outside businessman, somebody that's made a lot of money in some other endeavor or a major corporation buys a wrestling company, it's fucking brutal on the mental state of all the wrestling people trying to tell the business people what the fuck's going on. And it generally leads to strife and chaos and a downturn in business. Who do you want to see by WWE? Um, Knowing it has to be sold because it's going to be sold. Mike Mondo. <laughs> Come on, people say you're too nice to Mike Mondo. This is evidence of it. You think he should buy WWE? I think he should. Well, he'll take good care of it. He'd work hard and give a shit about the wrestling business. Uh, I mean, it's it's not like that there's anybody... Bill Watts ain't, ain't you know, going to do that. Eddie Graham's dead. You know, most of the great wrestling minds are gone. I don't give a fuck. One major conglomerate not in the wrestling business would be just as likely to fuck something up in the wrestling business as any other one. So if you're talking about an outside wrestling entity, which is the only type of organization that's going to have that kind of money, I can't think that why anyone would be worse than the other, unless you just found a really stupid person in charge of that business. But yeah. Hello again, friends. The great Brian Last here. You there. We're back with more breaking news audio. It keeps happening. It's happened again. It's always the same culprit. But here with me, of course, Mr. Jim Cornette. Wait a minute. Now you've, you've fingered me as the culprit, apparently, the way you just condensed that down there. You just wanted to get out of it before you fucked it up. Go ahead and admit it. Well, uh, an expert on culprits, Mr. Jim Cornette. An expert on culprits. Get that 
theme music ready to go here for a few minutes. <laughs> Steph walks warily down the street with her brim pull way down low. Another one bites the dust. If you don't know the news that uh, we are, are breaking now to you, well, that, if it's if you don't know the news, it's news to you. Stephanie McMahon out of the WWE by her own hand. Uh, apparently just brought, here's the thing. This is such a rib. The breaking news audio is going to be out before the podcast that we just recorded a, a few hours ago where we were bemoaning the fact that, well, nothing's happened in the last couple of days and we don't really have much to talk about. So, well, we'll see you later, folks. And two hours later, the harlot, the Jezebel, the hussy. Didn't even have the courtesy to do this in normal business hours, so we could have talked about it on the regular program. Now we got to jump in here and and fix the breaking news. What do you think about that? Well, indeed, <laughs> we were saying there was nothing going on, and then all of a sudden, late in the day, late in the day on a Tuesday, so who's paying attention to anything? I mean, NXT's coming up. No one's paying attention. A tweet went out. Then, now, forever, together, and attached as a letter. Except while we're together, I'll be over here. Dear go WWE. Ahead, go, ahead and read the, go ahead and read the letter. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you because this is just hilarious. Well, I'm not going to get past the first line here because I want to ask you about it. Dear WWE Universe. <laughs> so she uses that company lingo and then she does the company tagline then now forever together which is the worst tagline for a wrestling company of all time but they love it what do you think of that the fact that it's so companyed up well i mean obviously it, it, as the people the people out there will hear when you do read this thing none of this is genuine sincere this is corporate company speak this is all quotes that she and they released the joint statement with uh, Nick Khan commenting and Stephanie commenting and whoever the fuck else was involved commenting, but it's all quotes that have been drawn up carefully so as not to crash the stock or send the stock storing or fucking send the employees leaping from windows on the top floor of Titan Tower or whatever. But <laughs> the point is, I mean, she just led a company-wide rah-rah phone call on Friday afternoon where it was stressed that management would not change and everything is moving along swimmingly as Vince comes in to oversee this brand-new strategic uh, missile defense system or whatever the fuck they're about to launch. And what's that? Well, not counting weekends because they don't work up there on the weekends, the office people. 72 hours later, the co-CEO and charwoman, she quit her charwoman position, too. She's out. That's a management change, isn't it? This is a big change on various levels. Let me read the... So she was one of the people here. on the call saying there's going to be no change in management. That's right. She was one of the people leading the call. She just changed the management. Well, here's her letter. Dear WWE Universe, about eight months ago, I took a leave of absence and within a few weeks, unexpectedly had the opportunity of a lifetime. I had the privilege to return 
as the co-CEO. To help my dad cover up for his dalliances with illegal paralegals. As co-CEO, and the paralegal was, well, I don't want to get into the legalities of it, and co-CEO and chairwoman of the board of WWE. I cannot put into words how proud I am to have led what I consider to be the greatest company in the world. I can't use the words in this communication that I'd like to use. Working alongside a remarkable leadership team and one of the strongest executives I have known in my co-CEO, Nick Khan. Oh, I thought if she was talking about Vince, are you sure it wasn't one of the strangest executives I have known? Our founder, Vince McMahon... You remember all of the old movies in the old days, the 30s or 40s, when they had the picture of the old the old guy up on the wall, our founder. Our founder, Vince McMahon, has returned as executive chair and is leading an exciting process regarding strategic alternatives. Let's stop there. <laughs> Are you sure he's not the founder or the flounder? Or is the company going to founder as a result of the founder? Every story is about a sale. She says, strategic alternatives. Exciting strategic alternatives. What is that? Well, that's what they've been calling this whole process. They can't come right out and say, hey, we're shopping for a sucker. Or as Burt Prentice, my old friend, would say, an angel. So we're exploring strategic alternatives, such as somebody giving us a bunch of fucking alternative money for this thing and us getting out of it. Well, let me go back to what she said here. Vince is leading the team regarding strategic alternatives. And with Nick's leadership... Wasn't he just advising last week? Well, I think, what was it? It was on the 6th that he stormed back in. He was either overseeing or advising. Now he's leading. Well, it's happened pretty quick. The lead investigator was the first guy to resign from the board. <laughs> and with Nick's, I, had, I had high hopes for old man Jeet. And with Nick's leadership and Paul Triple H Levesque as chief content officer, I'm confident WWE is in the perfect place to continue to provide unparalleled creative content and drive maximum value for shareholders. WWE is in such a strong position that I've decided to return to my leave and take it one step further with my official resignation. (laughs) I can't read that with a straight face. (laughs) I've decided now to, as a buy your leave, go back to spending more time with my family and also, fuck you, I quit. (laughs) If, If she was, they could have at least had her say, I'm going to continue my leave and spend more time with the children and let her quit next week, could you? But no. Uh, that that once again is very jarring. It's off-putting when you hear it like that because it's so friendly up to that last minute and I'll kick it up a notch. Bam! How about this? I'm out of here. I'm fucking done. You'll never see my That's what you would have done. That's what you would have done. Admit it. <laughs> You can go back to hanging out at home. We'll figure something out. I'll tell you what, I'll go back home. Fuck you. I'm never coming back. Yeah, I kind of sort of did that two or three times. (laughs) Remember the one time Vince asked Bruce where you think he is? He said he may be halfway back to Tennessee by now. 
I look uh, forward. Let me go back to Stephanie okay. here. Yes, yes, please. I'll, I'll massage my face. I look forward to cheering on WWE from the other side of the business. <laughs> Take the, the old Bronx cheer. Where I started when I was a little kid as a pure fan. I will always remain dedicated to WWE. I truly love our company, our employees, our mighty leader, Saddam Hussein. <laughs> our superstar. Like, what is this fucking letter? Oh, anyway, I'm sorry. Our superstars and our fans, and I am grateful to all of our partners. Thank you for everything. Then, now, forever, <laughs> together. <laughs> and please, please, Vince, let, let my kids come home now. Kids, Grandpa didn't mean it. You'll get to come home. Ah, he and, staged and, a coup. He, I mean, he really did it. He really well, well, took well, well, coup. We're, we're, we're neglectifying uh, one extra piece of business. She resigned as the co-CEO and the charwoman. She is also off the board of directors. Remember, we just did the show a couple of days ago where we said, okay, well, now on the board of directors, because old Manjit, is it Manjit or Manjit? It's Jit. The way it's written, but I, I've been pronouncing Manjeet it Manjeet. sounds more I believe Hindu that, or whatever. Well, I don't know if that's the way I'd put it, but it sound, I think that may be the correct I was name. trying to be polite. I don't know what the proper terms are. <laughs> and I'm trying to I make mean, sure you're, you've been polite and people know your intent. Well, <laughs> my intent for all intent and purposes <laughs> was to just say I don't know how to pronounce this motherfucker's name. Well, he's gone. Well, he's gone anyway. <laughs> and the other, guy, <laughs> the other guy went with him. Vince brought himself and Michelle Wilson and George Berrios, who were the two big wigs under him that he fired a couple years ago when he brought Nick Khan in. Nick Khan's another member of the board. So was Stephanie, but she's not now. Old Triple Paul is still on the board, apparently. And there's a couple of other bastards, but basically everybody on the board now is either somebody that Vince specifically brought in and hired and put on there or is a him or a relative of his. And apparently they have now elected him unanimously or urinanously, uh, the new executive chairman of the board. So when Stephanie, it's like, Stephanie, when, Putin, it's like when Putin gets 99.9% .9 of the vote in yeah, Russia. Yeah. Cause and it's who, a gun to everyone's head. But how do they decide the 0.1% just to make it look good? Who vote, Who does that? They're probably too scared to. But it, So Stephanie is no longer the, the co-CEO. Now Nick Khan's the only CEO. Which brings to mind that, well, if Nick Khan can do his and Stephanie's job, then what the hell were they paying Stephanie all that money for? Was she just lounging about eating bonbons? She can just leave and, and there's no co-CEO and... Everything's sunshine, lollipops, rainbows, and waterfalls. Was it just so the investors saw McMahon at the top of the company? While Vin well, Vince was one of two things. Either legitimately sent away with the intention he was never coming back, or told, go home for a while, and then you'll come back next year. Which is what now, this is starting into. See, see here, Muggsy? You just lay low until the heat's off. Just lay low, pal, till the heat's off. You'll cool down. You'll come back in. We'll give you the east side to start with. So, 
Stephanie, again, is, is, is she's no, no, no longer co-CEO. Nick Khan's the CEO of the whole hee-haw gang. For now. For now. But, but Vince brought him in from Hollywood with what we thought was the express purpose of doing what they're kind of doing right now. And uh, Berrios and Wilson that he just brought back are the ones that he fired to bring Nick Khan in. So maybe now they're on the same page as what Vince, because remember we said at the time, apparently Vince woke up and decided this is what we need to do. And they probably said, oh no, Vince. And he said, well, see you later. Well, now apparently they're all on the same page. It's going to get, it's going to get lonesome. I would think at the Levesque dinner table when Stephanie's sitting there with her home-cooked meal that she's prepared lovingly with her own two hands, and there's old Triple Paul is still at the office at 9 o'clock listening to Vince tell everybody the way it's going to be, but... um, And then he adds to the board Jim Troy and zombie Howard Finkel. <laughs> Fink! Oh, my God. Fink would still be more polite as a zombie than anybody else that worked in the building. So, yeah, so this was abrupt, uh, but again, you can't, nobody can claim that this was all part of the plan and something that Stephanie was exhibiting a sigh of relief. Well, now that Vince is back, I can rejoin my leave and, and kick it up a notch, take it a step further with my complete resignation from everything, right as this company that I've been inextricably linked to for 25 years is probably about to be sold for billions of dollars. And especially because she just led the phone call last Friday. If there had been any inkling of that, would they have buried themselves by saying there's going to be no management change? Everybody we're we love our management team. Everybody's in the right place. And this is going to be a seamless thing where Vince is coming back to oversee this grand adventure we're imparting on and then like i said three days later oh well you know what fuck it because i've really i I got all those magazine subscriptions when i thought i was going to be taking a leave that can't this there had to be something said or done that led to her saying well i'm going to quit if that happens and somebody else saying well i don't care Hey, you want to hear something interesting? Mike Sempervivi. Sure, as, as apart from this program. Well, Mike Sempervivi of the Wrestling News tweeted out, this is from, from June 2022, Business Insider's Claire Atkinson reported Stephanie being, quote, replaced in her roles were a part of a shakeup, end quote, instigated by Vince. Quote from Company Insider, when someone has moved out, it's usually the result of something not working. We took stronger control of that. I would, and it is dot dot. I don't know where it continues to, but that's where the relationship was in June, before everything. And then when Vince is persona non grata, like you said earlier, they got to have a McMahon in, you know, somebody named McMahon, even though Triple H would actually be more of a steady principle on the creative and the wrestling side of things. We got to have somebody named McMahon running the thing. So well, here's Stephanie. And now if Sean goes, Triple H is next. Hmm. 
Very interesting. Not saying where they're going to go or if there's anywhere to go, but I'm just saying in terms of what's going on there, if they start going down there and fucking with NXT and now it's, you know what? We're fe- we're feeling vengeful. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of interesting dynamics here and they're all playing no, I, out. I, I, I still, and I still stand by what I said on one of our programs here the last few days, I don't think Vince right now is going to be delving into the creative of NXT or even uh, Raw or whatever. He might be trying to get every big-name star he possibly can back and twisting the Rock's arm and got any more dates for me, Cena, and whatever. That kind of thing. I don't think he's going to be, at this point, minutely involved in creative, but he's he's got a bunch of major corporate executives to run off. Well, Jim, there's a strain called cotton candy that I may have taken a hit or two from a little bit earlier, (laughs) and I was thinking about things, and it got me thinking. Remember in 92 when the scandals hit? Mel Phillips, who was an independent contractor, not an employee, was gone. Terry Garvin was gone. Right. And everyone was led to believe that Pat Patterson was also gone. Meanwhile, it's now come out, the assumption is that Pat kept working during that time. Yes. And again, the majority belief is that Pat was innocent of what he was being accused of in this whole thing with Murray Hodgkin, and the, who was later exposed to be a con artist, and the Ring Boys and everything else. Pat, Pat was the... Uh, Terry Garvin and Mel Phillips had... Eh, power in the company pat was by far of the two of them the most powerful or of the three of them the most powerful person in the company he was also the other gay guy so they had to talk about him to get anywhere and that's and or as i've said pat's sense of humor but he wouldn't take anything that far so yeah well he was kind of gone but he wasn't gone so he was gone but he wasn't gone because they just wanted the heat to to subside off of pat because he hadn't done anything you can't do that with a publicly traded company. With well, especially the when the guy when the guy actually has done something. I've, we'd have found out if Pat Patterson had ever paid twenty something million dollars for whistling at anybody's willy. Well, it's not about whether you did it or didn't. It's about how you react to it. It's about a track record of how you react to things. Again, I smoked a little bit, so I wasn't in my right <laughs> mind. Just to give it. I just want to say that. Again, you couldn't do what they did with Pat Patterson now. What you could do is have Vince say, I've got a lot of heat. I'm going home. I'm going to be home for a while. I'm coming back next year. Stephanie just went home. Have her come back. And then when I come back, she can go home again. And we'll put some stories in the press so that the SEC doesn't get too concerned that I'm (laughs) fighting my way back and I'm going to take over and I got my own people. And and then I'm just going to do everything I want to do anyway. The uh, again, the only thing is they they were just goofy then. If they buried themselves with that call on Friday that they called, Vince has pressed this issue, and Vince they were reacting to Vince instead of working in concert with Vince because, well, if you read the the stuff that he released and the, when he put himself back on the board that included some of the email back or email to the board about what he intended to do. He was giving him a deadline. I need to hear from you by January 5th in in any case. And 
apparently either he heard back from him not what he wanted to hear or he didn't hear back and on January 6th, boom, he's been pressing this. And if Stephanie had known that she was going to do this this week or even in the next few weeks or whatever, they would have figured out a way to word that differently on the Friday call so that there's so that she didn't bury herself. But I said, well, there's going to be no management change. And suddenly, well, the co-operator of the company, which is pretty high up management, has decided, fuck everything. I'm not only going back on my leave of absence, I'm resigning. I'll never be back. And by the way, I'm off the board of directors, which is a nominal position anyway in terms of the time you spend on a company. So, no, they didn't work. Vince uh, is causing this with whatever behavior Vince is doing and things Vince is saying behind the scenes and to these people. So the board of directors, if we could talk about that for a moment, obviously Vince and I have the, uh, let me read the official statement here. Hold on. Dated today, January 10th, 2023. WWE Board of Directors unanimously elects Vince McMahon, Executive Chairman of the Board, Stanford, Connecticut, Business Wire. WWE Today announced that its Board of Directors unanimously elected Vince McMahon, Executive Chairman of the Board. Stephanie McMahon has resigned from her roles as Chairwoman and Co-CEO. Nick Khan will serve as WWE CEO. And here's a quote from Vince McMahon. First, I'd like to express my full support for Stephanie's personal decision. (laughs) 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 And don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. I fully support the decision that she made independently of any outside pressure. I'll forever be grateful that she offered to step in during my absence. And I'm truly proud of the job she did co-leading WWE. Stephanie has always been the ultimate ambassador for our company, and her decades of contributions have left an immeasurable impact on our brand. Uh, I'm proud to announce that Nick Khan will serve as WWE CEO, Nick's business acumen, and mastery of the media industry have helped catapult our business to record revenue and profitability. Together, we look forward to working with the board at this critical moment in time to review our strategic alternatives and maximize value for all WWE shareholders. Strategic. This time next year, baby, we're going to be making major motion pictures and strategic alternatives. Here's a quote from Stephanie McMahon. I cannot put into words how proud I am to have helped lead what I consider to be the greatest company in the world, and I'm confident WWE is in the perfect position to continue to provide unparalleled creative content and drive maximum Value for shareholders. Jim, we have another couple statements here. Nick Khan says, Stephanie McMahon is a terrific executive and an even better person. (laughs) It has been an honor to serve as co-CEO with her. She will only continue to succeed. I'm grateful to Vince McMahon and our board of directors for their ongoing support. I look forward to continuing to work closely with them and my WWE colleagues to ensure our company may thrive as the premium powerhouse in sports entertainment for years to come. And finally, Paul Triple H Levesque says, Oh shit, I'm fucked. (laughs) 
Did anyone see where I left that tank? <laughs> and there it is. The happiness radiates from all of these statements about how lovely everything is, that people are resigning and leaving and being kicked off the board and jammed onto the board. They're, they're board packing is what they're doing up there. They're board packing. Well, I don't know about that. It's supposed to be illegal. But the question is, who's on the board? Here's a who the their website currently lists as being on the board, and we know Manjeet and uh, what was the other guy's name? Lupus. I forget what the other guy's uh, name. Was. No, Olaf, uh, my my mood, Alub, uh, lube, oh. uh, lube him up, uh, <laughs> flavored lube. What was his name? None of those. None of those. <laughs> but um, Mr. Lube and Mr. Manjeet. They quit. They resigned from the board. Yes, as soon as the Vince news was announced. Vince took three seats for him, George Barrios, and Michelle McKenna. No, I thought it was Michelle Wilson. Oh, that's a different one. And that's Michelle, a different one. And Michelle Wilson, who has a capital management company, it says here. Well, yeah, because that's what Michelle and George left to start. I don't know what happened to Ringo, but they left to start their own company, and now they're coming back after having started that company to be on the board with Vince, and then the Michelle McKenna is the one of the people that was just there that we said, who the fuck is this, and how'd she ever get involved to begin with? That's right. All right, well, let's go back a step. So Vince, George, and Michelle Wilson is three. Michelle McKenna, CEO of the Michelle McKenna Collaborative, she's four. Steve Coonan, who's the CEO of the Atlanta Hawks and the State Farm Arena. That makes five. Paul Levesque makes six. Nick Khan makes seven. Stephanie McMahon just resigned. So is that everyone who voted for Vince? Well, because they said it was unanimous. Huh. So yes. Everybody loves Vince now. Remember, it was, and again, the communication from the board of directors to Vince back in December when, it, when he first contacted them about coming back was that the board had unanimously voted that or decided that him coming back was not a good idea. Okay, I'll replace the board. Once he gets finished <laughs> sanding that board down, once he gets finished putting the shellac on that board, all of a sudden the board unanimously said, you're our executive chairman, oh, fearless leader. Well, So there you go. Well, again, the breaking news as we are here, Stephanie McMahon resigns from WWE from co-CEO and as chairwoman of the board of directors. She will now be just a fan like the rest of us, although a fan whose best friend was Andre the Giant. Jim, any <laughs> thoughts on who's going to be the next person to go? Or what's the who's going to be the next person what? added to the board or subtracted from the board? Because there's now three open seats in terms of Manjeet, Mr. Lube, that's not even his name. Now you got me saying it. And Stephanie McMahon, there's three open seats. 
Uh, well, I'll tell you, I, I know for sure who the next person that's going to be off the board is. The next person that disagrees with Vince. That's who. Um, now, who that will be may remain to be seen. And do they have to have a set number? Or can they just have as many as Vince wants them to have? I actually don't know. That's a good question. Because, I mean, I'm sure he can find a few more if they need them, but maybe he's happy with the ones he's got right now, and especially the way they vote. now. You know, uh, what What happens if Triple H, you know, is, is like, well, you know, Vince, maybe we shouldn't bring the Ultimate Warrior back or have somebody play him because uh, we own the, the intellectual property and maybe he might get voted off the island. Or maybe, maybe it's going to be like Agatha Christie where every time they have a board meeting, there's another empty chair. And then finally, when it gets down to just Vince and whoever, then you'll figure out who the uh, perpetrator is. Are you still as confident today as you were days ago that he's not going to interfere with creative? Well, I didn't say he wasn't going to interfere. I said he's probably not going to have time. if this. And, and here's another thing. They said last week that they expected this to be a three- to six-month procedure he ain't got time i said if it lasted a couple years yeah by then he would have gotten around to fucking with that too but right now he's frying the big fish he might get or try to get cena to come back or whoever's still living and breathing that can walk or whatever that are his his ideas of stars to that level or to tell Triple H, he's got to do something as a concept, possibly, that he might not like, but I don't think he's going to have time to get down in the weeds of starting to run individual talents off again. Although, if he can fucking repeat the magic with Flop Dollar, he'll get my vote for the next time we vote for the chairman of the board. You know, WWE could be a good bargain. Do you think he would go for the same kind of deal he got? Give me WWE, and I'll just pay you out of the money we're making. Ooh, like the deal he made with his dad. Uh, just turn the company over to me and I will pay you out of the proceeds of the ongoing concern that we are running here. That might not be a bad idea. I, w I don't know if he'd go for it, though, because he's the one that thought of that con to begin with. His poor old father, bedridden though he was. But yeah, the boss is back, baby. And once again, uh, I think it, amounts to whoever's going to play ball in the, the vision that Vince sees of whatever he's trying to do. Is he trying to sell it? Is, is he trying to take it back over and, as you said, take it private? I. How long before I, he's on TV? How long before he walks to the ring? Or at oh, least goes to the ramp and waves or does whatever the hell he does? Let's give, let's give him four weeks. Got to be at least four weeks. But I I think he's going to sell it. I don't think he wants to take it private. I don't think Vince McMahon can turn down the thought of getting a check for $6 billion. We'll see. We'll see who's going to pay him that much. The stock, as of the close today, $90.24. It's almost $100 a share now. They've what was it? it. With, what, what, what was it when he... Uh, when when he had the initial of uh, a uh, bad publicity, the unpleasantness, as they say over across the pond, last year it was like sixty something bucks or whatever, right? It's thirty dollars a share now more than it was when he was found out to be dallying with the uh, the hired help. 
The Stephanie announcement was after the market closed, so we'll see how things, how people react to that if anyone does tomorrow. But I guess before we wrap up this breaking news audio, closing thoughts on the future of WWE or what's happening? I mean, it's so much happening quickly. I mean, CM Punk has to do something quick to get the news off WWE for once. Yeah, I mean, you know, our boy Punk has been off the front pages for a while. He needs to make a comeback on it because he was the only thing that was that was really competing with the all the WWE Palace intrigue for uh, views and clicks and thought and discussion amongst all of the because everything in the ring sucks donkey cocks these days. So I Punk, take somebody else down. Take. If you can, get a hold of Cutlet and fuck him up. Just stretch him for me. Put a ham sandwich on his back and starve him to death. Anyway, are you going to be able to get this 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 breaking news? uh, Are you going to be able to get this breaking news update in the actual show that we have already done, but has not actually been released? Right now, Travis Heckle has been informed that we're recording something. He hasn't heard it yet, obviously, because we are recording something. And the intention is, if you are hearing this in the show, or if you're not, I don't know who I'm broadcasting this part for. <laughs> but in case you're hearing this, you're hearing this here. No, this will be right before the end of this the show. This will be right, right here. It'll be right before the music at the end of the show. We got to be recording something. Got to be recording something. At this point, you're starting to really love taking other people's songs and applying your own lyrics to it. But you're too high to get over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Say good night, Brian. Good night, Brian. And of course, we'll be back with the drive-thru. Uh, well, if you're listening to the drive-thru, go listen to the rest of this right now. And for everyone else, tally-ho! All right. Well, with that, we're going to close this episode of the drive-thru. Let's get a song here. Let's go to this one. Sent to cornydrivethru at gmail.com from Gabriel in London, England. I think we've got a heal The when it comes out Everyone in your innocence Is our new head Tony's got a brand new friend <laughs> All the EVPs Have been slowly going away They played musical chairs Got a brand new friend He's a jerk He's a leech For a year He sabotaged MJF The move to Kingston Brian Danielson Castagnoli He has had too much ravioli Gives me headaches <laughs> When he tells us how he's great He's in bad shape Looks like Hulk, come on these apes And in his head Tony thinks that he's his friend He's a black hole on my TV Perfect timing, I need it to be He's still there when I come back What's he saying? What a fucking drag 
festejavo He's got fake hair and he's stripped us off the brooks With the bags, for now he's in couch Waiting for a chance to stop them too Storms the capital when he's not spreading the virus And in his head Tony's got a brand new friend Tony's got a brand new friend Tony's got uh, Jim, listen to this and you tell him off and like i was telling tony like, i love wrestling i still i still love oh my for god it's like this yes it's comic but it's it's like the asshole heel just hates music and it's like i'm gonna smash this no we were all screaming stop that, that kind of fucking music to to you did us a favor you fucking so I, kind of- die die i hope you die <laughs> oh die you motherfuckers you don't love wrestling you hate wrestling you shit in wrestling's face what else did he have to say? <laughs> Great job there at the end. There it is. Another oh submission God. from Gabriel, the Italian from London, England. And the, 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 the vocals, just incredible there also. Well, with that, the drive through has closed. The last two notes are what always kills you. This chair's going. Everything's going. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to keep going. We'll be back this weekend on the Jim Cornette Experience. Yeah, my show next weekend. It'll be a delight wherever you find your favorite podcast. And, of course, next week right back here on the drive-thru, wherever you find uh, the show, wherever you find your favorite podcast, go through the archives. Or, or whenever you find the ones that you really don't like, but you goddamn listen to them out of habit. That might fit this one better. Go through the archives. Hear the better days at patreon.com slash cornet. $5 a month. Get you access to the archive going back to 2013. Patreon.com slash Cornette. The official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette. It'll be the first thing that pops up. Full episodes, clips of episodes, omnibus collections, all with the very popular Travis Heckle artwork. The official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. You can follow Jim on Twitter at the Jim Cornette. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com, or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And don't forget about The Wrestling News, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, or at thewrestlingnews.com. Free daily wrestling newscast. No fluff, no opinion, just the news. The Wrestling News. Jim, what's going on at Coronet's Collectibles at jimcornet.com? Chaos, Ollie! Get your lazy booking t-shirts and cornet face t-shirts. Once again, the store is open. Everything's on sale. Buy it, buy it, buy it. At jimcornet.com. Don't forget the drive through is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen at New Sue law it, office. sue it, sue it. Sue who? Sue what? What's it? Sue who or it? Or Sue Sue. That no good Sue. She deserves to be sued. Sue somebody. Well, once again, at New Law sue, Office. Sue Studio. At NewLawOffice.com. What kind of name is Studio? I think that was it with the plugs. Until this week at Not the Experience, and next week, right back here on the drive through, 
For Studio and Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally ho! Studio. Oh, well, it's Jim Cornette's drive through Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive through Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting, I'd pick fucking Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the young bucks, the rednecks and dumb fucks, and them door corner bum fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Corny's drive through. Corny's drive through. Through. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his billions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. the mighty cult of cornets, and to the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow-up dolls, dick spots, or dance routines, with blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion, she's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you, Steven Pierre. Everybody, Tony's drive through. Tony's drive through. Tony's drive through. Tony's drive through. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.